And remember that we are not descended from fearful men. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Five, four, three. The Kellen and Alex Show. Zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. The Kellen and Alex Show. Kellen and Alex Show with our special guest. 50th edition. 50th. The Kellen and Alex Show. Although, honestly, we've probably done like 100. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe so. (laughs) Cheers, guys. Cheers. Uh, 50 episodes. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Cheers first. Special guest, Jared, Mr. Tankman. Mr. Tankman. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome. It's me. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, brother. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is awesome. This guy just plows through stuff like a tank, especially all his Tolkien books, man. Okay, that goes back to the gun control debate, Veritas Society, where you gave one of the most legendary speeches of (laughs) any Veritas debate we've ever had. Oh, no. So, gun control debate. And... uh, Please explain your your speech. Okay, so I go up there. I'm hearing all the arguments, and I want to say my piece about like the Catholic side of this issue because we were talking about gun control in all of its facets. But I think the motion was about the Catholic view of gun control, right? Yeah, uh, should yeah. abolish guns in America. I think is. I don't know if it was a Catholic view, although of okay. course we were all Catholic, so right. we brought it in. But <laughs> whatever the case was, I wasn't decided it, wasn't it ban all assault weapons? Assault weapons, yeah, yeah, that was, assault weapons, yeah. that was the key word, I think. But I wanted to take a Catholic standpoint on it, and I had just been reading Timothy Gordon's Catholic Republic, mm-hmm. and that book's incredible because he just talks. It has a very specific thesis about you know America or Republican ideals being Catholic uh, at their source. But he talks about so many other things, and one of the big things that he talks about is the right to revolution. And that's basically – well, this is my argument. I went, went up there and said that. Probably not so coherently. I was pretty nervous, and I was on my scooter because I had – Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. <clears throat> oh yeah, that I was dest- funny. I destroyed my ankle the second week of school. And oh, so no. I had to go – they found a knee scooter in Marion <laughs> and just got down there. It's still like roaming around Jay Sarah. I don't know. Who has control over that? But sometimes it's just outside of a dorm door. It's really surreal. But anyways, I scoot my way up there and then say my piece that, you know, revolution, the right to revolution, I guess, according to Aquinas somewhere, is triggered upon the infringement of life, liberty, or property. Mm. Any of them, all three of them, whatever. And so in that case, with that basis, really, you can have whatever weapon you want. You could have a tank in your garage if you so chose. And <laughs> that was the point. I don't know where that came from. It was I great. Really don't. I don't know if they had tanks back in the American Revolution, though. No, they did not. <laughs> not until later. Yeah. Although, not yeah, later. maybe we could go on. I think you can actually privately own a tank. You just have to oh, have I a really so. special license. And yeah. probably be can in the you right actually? state. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, are you serious? Yeah. I, I was... There's some guy in Colorado who has like I think the most guns in America, and he also owns like five tanks. <laughs> oh, so sure. I think this is the future yeah. of the Calvin and Alex show. What? <laughs> well, what from what? the inside of a tank? You know, we do a show. What though? Like, why would? Okay, you can have a tank, but what warrants that? Um, that license, the possibility of revolution. I would say. So. But what? Yeah. Why? What? What does a specific individual need to have in order to meet that requirement? I mean, is this like some sort of badass that was like a Marine and like just wrecked people or something like has like a notably high kill rate? Could, just, no be, could just be Jared the Tank Man. I mean, yeah, I'll find <laughs> out. I'm going to segue to 
Tolkien with his anti-tanks. All right, uh, yes. one thing I, I... Okay, Lord of the Rings. So, first of all, you are one of the Tolkien scholars at this university. Don't deny it. One yeah. of the best. <laughs> and um, so, subject for the podcast is Tolkien. Um, yeah, running throughout Lord of the Rings. You haven't read Lord of the Rings, have you, Kellen? I've read this... Okay, this is embarrassing. I, re- I bought this little book that was like 10 pages. It was like a children's book. And it said like, how to live as a hobbit. Like 10 ways how to live as a hobbit. <laughs> and it said like, oh, well... You know, it wasn't any Lord of the Rings book, but it was like how to live better as a hobbit. And it's like literally take naps during the day, like nice. stuff your face with food and just like that's in essence that what it was. Op- pretty accurate. I would say, I mean, Tolkien how described himself as a hobbit. Yeah. So, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. He said. Um, so, he no, I never read it. I never read it, but I did have this little hobbit book. That's something that counts. <laughs> so the hobbit was written first. Yes. Um, in the 1930s? 37, I believe. It's the same year as Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which Tolkien wow. despised because he he took his mythology very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. And to have the dwarves be so cartoonish in Seven Dwarves at the exact same time that he had his dwarves. Not that The Hobbit's the most like serious piece of literature ever, but he still yeah, wasn't a Disney fan at all. Oh, when the movie came out in 37? Is that when it yeah. came out? Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Did he I feel? Know, did he feel like um, that? Well, who wrote Snow White and the Seven Dwarves? Do we know? It's it's an old film. <clears throat> Is it old? Like <clears throat> yeah. Taylor or something like that? Okay, yeah. And then they made it. The Disney movie came out the same year mm-hmm. that he released The Hobbit. So and you have like the dwarves told- that are like Gimli, and they're all like you know huge beards, <laughs> and, and they're super, like axes and stuff, axes and, 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 and then all of a sudden he sees like these seven dwarves by the name of like Grumpy, Grumpy and Dopey, yeah. So he was just like, oh, this is. This yeah. is degrading my work. I want like some serious killer dwarves, but these guys are just like following each other in line, ten each other. How many there yeah. are, and they're just going up and following Snow White. But I think most people's man. I'm trying to figure. I think most people get introduced by the movies rather than the books, at yeah. least in our like popular culture today. Definitely nowadays. I agree for sure. Yeah. What was your opinion of the Hobbit movies when they were coming out? So I was. Was it 2012? I was 11 when they first came out. So for me, I have nothing but nostalgia for those films. Like even then, like the first movie was great. I think it took liberties from the books, but I have an opinion that I haven't heard many other Tolkien fans talk about. But I think that if Tolkien himself was around, he would have appreciated that they tried to connect it to the Lord of the Rings. Hmm. Because that's one of the biggest criticisms is that they put all this Gandalf stuff and this all this other stuff that's happening in the Hobbit movies but Tolkien himself tried to do that because The Hobbit, if you look at the Silmarillion, Lord of the Rings, all of the other background information that got published, he didn't publish it that much in his life. His son published most of the other stuff that comes out. The Hobbit sticks out like a sore thumb just because it's such a kid's book. And like the elves in that book, for example, they're really like childish, like follow the lolly, come back to the valley. And then in the Silmarillion, it's just <laughs> <laughs> death and war and depression and suicide and everything. And so he really he didn't intend on the Hobbit being what it was, but he says like Gandalf and Elrond just kind of walked into the story. Mm. And so he went on later on. I don't know too much about this, like uh, names or dates or anything like that, but he did try and write a version of the Hobbit that was more serious that went along with Lord of the Rings a lot more. But I think he got three chapters in and some friend told him like, everyone likes the Hobbit as is. So just leave it there. And he was dissatisfied, but okay. He rolled with it. So I think the movies, he really would have appreciated that they tried it. 
Mm. I don't think it worked all the way because they're fun to watch. And when I was little, it was the best thing ever. It was a Christmas tradition. We would nice. all, we'd always go watch those movies. And then Star Wars came out like the year after Battle of Five Armies, which mm-hmm. is the last Hobbit. But yeah, uh, I think they get progressively worse. I think the mm. performances are great. I think the <clears throat> characterizations of Bilbo, Gandalf, Thranduil, Legolas's dad, and Thorin, those are all great. And I think that even though they do take some liberties from book stuff, not that, for example, Thranduil has all that much going for him in the book. He's just the Elven King. He doesn't get a name. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the characterizations were great, and they really, really expand the universe in a really good way, and then just portray the character, especially Bilbo. Bilbo's yeah. the best part of those movies. But the, <clears throat> Yeah, in, the, the times that stick out in my mind, when they're lost in the forest and the spiders come the yeah, um, the fight with the uh the arrow and the dragon when he finally kills the dragon yeah. beginning at three mm-hmm. um that when <laughs> when uh bilbo was talking with the dragon and the That's the an gold like there's so many really amazing moments now on the other side of my criticism of it it's like the book is small you know and the the movies are long yeah. and there are three of them mm-hmm. and like lord of the rings is huge and they made three movies hobbit is you know much smaller um yeah and it seems some parts seem to be really drawn out and can be for people who aren't kind of hardcore fans could be kind of boring like i've I, sure. some friends who are not super into the lord of the rings universe like i feel like lord of the rings is a bit more approachable than the hobbit in terms of the movies, right? Because yeah, there's just like so. more things happening in the next thing and the yeah. next thing. Whereas in The Hobbit, it's like the Battle of the Five Marvies takes forever. Like it's the entire I think, dang thing. I think a big thing is in The Lord of the Rings as compared to The Hobbit, there's a lot more to relate yourself to than yeah. The Hobbit. Because, I mean, one of the big things that, that I think of is, look, the, whole, the Hobbit is about them re- regaining their homeland, Erebor. But The Lord of the Rings is like, you can re- it's so easy to relate like all this to sin you know and like pride and possessions you know we see that throughout the entire movies where frodo has frodo and everybody else they have such a hard time with the ring they get so overpowered by it you can easily draw that to sin mm. like there's so many ways that lord of the rings i think is like you said is more approachable to people because you can relate to so much more stuff in it and there's so many things like the, like I agree, the Hobbits. Re- I love the Hobbit movies. In fact, the first time I ever watched it, I broke my leg that night, and uh, I came. I came home, and I didn't want to go to the emergency room, so I came home and I just climbed up my stair, like crawled up my stairs, went into the playroom, and just watched that. And my mom made me pasta, and that was it. <laughs> That's amazing. Did nice. you go to like the ER or anything? No, I didn't <laughs> want to go to the ER. <laughs> so I was the like the next day, I, I came home and I was like, screw the ER, I'm just going to go watch The Hobbit. And then I went to the ER the next day. That was really dirty anyway, so it would have been a mess. Ooh, but. Another scene, I remember, the, the riddle scene. Yes. With, oh, That's yeah. Perfect. Another one of those moments where they're trying to connect it with um, with Lord of the Rings, obviously. The riddle scene was Smeagol. great. 32, what was it? 32 New horses, what, horses on a white on a hill. White hill. <laughs> First they champ and, and they stamp then they stamp, then they stand still i i could never Teeth! i would like pause, before that i would pause the movie and think what is this answer i know i, I would no do idea. i would yeah. do, with every <laughs> riddle i'd press pause and i'm like i gotta figure this out i can't i can't then i can't figure it out just play the movie and it was like oh, well, there's another one I don't the other know. one was like wind an egg right yeah there's there was one that was wind or something i don't know i don't remember yeah i remember one of, wind one was mountain one. <clears throat> yeah 
time maybe yeah time was one yeah. time was one mm-hmm. <laughs> that is a great though. scene that's a very mm-hmm. good scene uh you know when they're well what's what's the name of the um Smeagol? no no but the kingdom of oh, the um just of all the, the goblins of the Mystic goblins yeah goblins, yeah it, well he falls all the way down through to the very bottom and Smeagol's down there and he he notices him out like Smeagol's just ah, da, 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 da. <laughs> you know out <laughs> in the middle of the out in the middle of the lake clubbing a goblin to death clubbing, yeah clubbing a goblin to death and oh, and Bilbo's just like what the hell <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you know right there so Bilbo's like behind a rock and Gollum's on top of one in the middle of the lake and he looks over and then Smeagol looks at the same time and and the way you can see that Smeagol saw him was Bilbo looked back and Smeagol wasn't there mm-hmm. on the rock so you came around and eventually found him but yeah it was that was a really really good scene all over that the ring scene. and Bilbo gets yeah. it yeah. and it starts okay so as a Tolkien scholar what do you think do you think Tolkien had a specific <clears throat> I don't know analogy in mind with the ring like he was thinking the ring represents so <clears throat> Tolkien I was just reading through his letters and something that he doesn't really like is intentional allegory and this is one of the biggest things about Tolkien it's the reason he didn't care for Narnia all that much which his friend wrote but actually he didn't like Narnia at all people kind of downplay but he I don't think he despised it but he didn't like it at all because allegory to him one of the the glories of storytelling was the ability to tell a story and the reader can take that and do whatever he wants with it essentially just like apply it to his life apply it to this the situation in the world or whatever but allegory forces an intention into the story. And for example, I guess, have you, either of you read Narnia or parts? Watch the movies. <laughs> no, the movies are good enough because like movies know, are really, I love the movies. Yeah. Um, movies are cool. <clears throat> you can definitely tell that Aslan is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know that Aslan is Jesus, <laughs> your enjoyment is still there maybe, but your understanding is decreased mm-hmm. because you have to know that Aslan is Jesus to get the full meaning out of it. Well, he literally dies on the stone table. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> what yeah. is that? He gets resurrected. Yeah, he gets resurrected. Yeah, that's why uh, Lion, Wish in the Wardrobe is the best Christmas movie of all time because Santa and Jesus are in it. Yeah. Just, oh, that's can't right, top yeah. that. Yeah, Santa brings the presents and yeah. all that. Yeah, just they did a great job. <laughs> they did a great job, yeah. yeah so the ring, though, there's not... So you're saying... So Tolkien didn't have a specific, like, oh, the ring represents power or so i mean it ring, is called the ring of power right yeah. yeah so basically he wouldn't say that it represents power because tolkien the way he thinks about stories is like it is what it is is the best <clears throat> way of saying it the ring is a means to intense power and one of the big things for me that's not always been difficult is like what do the rings actually do because they make you invisible they corrupt your will but what's the point exactly and uh, learning more about philosophy since being here at Franciscan, like Platonic philosophy, especially the will is super duper important to uh, that's weird for putting it super duper, uh, very important. Oh, yeah. To understanding Tolkien's you know philosophy of, and uh, the mechanics of how all these things work. So the ring, basically, it is an evil will that you take if you want to dominate other wills. Hmm. And so it just is an example of a powerful tool that 
you know, to dominate others. And so you can take that and you can apply it to this is sin, this is uh, the will to power or whatever. But yeah, it's kind of, it to me, trying to explain it is like splitting hairs because <laughs> you're basically saying, yes, it does represent that. But he doesn't mean, it's not represent in the sense that it's a metaphor. Well, as clearly, the, clear that we've seen in the um, Fellowship of the Ring, when he puts it on, the Nazgul automatically changed direction. Power. They automatically yeah. changed direction because they, because like they were going this way. He puts it on. They immediately stop and they go the other way because they can sense the power of the ring because they were once men and then they were corrupted by. Yeah. <clears throat> Sauron. Well, the interesting so, thing as it, well it, with the ring it draws the evil towards. Yeah. That one ring of power. <clears throat> it it's de- it changes its power based on who's wearing it. Yes. Right. Right. So Hobbit. Terms invisible. Smeagol was a, a hobbit, so he also had that same power. But when a sealed door used it, um, it was different for him. He did turn invisible, but he, he, he got a lot of power out of. But it was pertaining to his nature as a man yeah. rather than him being a hobbit. And the the thing is, if Sauron gets it, then he can like take over the world. Yeah, it's essentially just so. What the ring was was Sauron poured, I guess, his will into it, mm-hmm. and so. Or the strength of his will, I guess you could say, from what I understand. It's still, Tolkien left a lot of gray areas intentionally. And so it gives you, I think Gandalf Elrond said it somewhere, uh, power according to your stature. So a hobbit doesn't naturally have the greatness of a man in him. So it's going to do, and also how you got the ring to, uh, affects what it does to you. Yeah, Smeagol got yeah. it through murder. <clears throat> Bilbo got it through chance. And he, when he possesses the ring, he didn't do anything particularly evil. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the interesting scenes in The Hobbit uh, in the forest in Mirkwood, where he's killing that little crustacean looking thing while they're all fighting the spiders over the ring because the ring slips out of his pocket. And so that's just very interesting. Uh, it's not in the book, but it does show you the ring, whether you like it or not, it's going to affect you negatively, but your strength to resist, it depends on your will. And so Bilbo was able to live with it took a you know a lot to free him of its influence, but it didn't force him to do anything uh, evil, or didn't corrupt him in the same way that it corrupted Gollum, or it would corrupt Isildur, or any man who got a hold of it. Like Boromir, it was especially volatile yeah. for men mm-hmm. because men are naturally far weaker here, here. than that. Boromir, <laughs> yeah, I mean Bar- Boromir Another, got yeah. so if you would, but lend me the ring, you know. There's yeah. <clears throat> yeah. and then, but Aragorn, he was like. It like literally Frodo showed it to him and he was like, I'll yeah. protect you. And it was literally calling to him. Like, <clears throat> listen, in right, yeah. it, was, it like, calls to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And remember the scene when Frodo tries to give it to Gandalf mm-hmm. and, you know, and then Gandalf says, don't tempt me with it. I would take it out of a desire to do good. Uh, but through me, it could wield a power more, more terrifying than, than any. Right. Because yeah. Gandalf realizes he has a ton of power and, He's yeah, Mithrandir, you know the yeah uh, the great wizard, literally an angel in Tolkien mythology. Wait, Gandalf is? Yes. Oh, man, whoa! That's a whole <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah. So Gandalf is a Maiar, and that's a step down from the Valar. Mm-hmm. And the Maiar, you can either look at it as the Maiar are angels, the Valar are gods, or the Valar are higher angels, the Maiar are lower angels. Either way, they are celestial beings who were there from the beginning of creation. And I believe the Maya participated in creation and how uh, the beginning of the Silmarillion is all the creation started with, which is incredible. It's very Genesis, but still very much its own thing. 
But yeah, so Gandalf's power, he's equal to Sauron. He intentionally tamps down his power, and that's why all the Ishtari, the wizards, come in the form of old men as a form of like humility and just uh, self-control. Equal to Sauron or Saruman? Sauron. Oh, really? They're all... So Sauron, he fell in the first stage. And I think there are degrees of power among the Maiar. Yeah. So I think Sauron is probably more powerful. Yeah. But Gandalf is... Uber powerful. Yeah. <laughs> because that's the five wizards, right? There's the mm. two blue wizards and then there's Radagast, Saruman, right? yeah. there's Gandalf, Radagast, Radagast, and the two blue wizards. Mm. Which, we don't oh, yeah, Radagast. They don't really talk. Wait, he was Radagast in the is great. Was Radagast in The Hobbit? <clears throat> Not or? in the book. In the movie. Oh, in, in the movie. I don't think he was in The Lord of the Rings, was he? He was mentioned in The Lord of the Rings. He was mentioned. He had yeah. a small role, actually. Yeah. So that moth. So this is one of the things about my experience of Lord of the Rings. My dad, he kind of started this journey into Middle Earth. Around the time I was born, because he heard, oh, these are, and if he listens to this, I apologize if I get any details wrong. But um, he'd heard that, oh, it's Christian. He wasn't into fantasy or sci-fi or anything like that. He was way more into history and religion and politics. But so he said, okay, I'll give this a try. So he and some family went and watched Return of the King in theaters. And then every Christmas from then on until we got the full set, we would get the extended editions. So I grew up, there's not a time when my, Lord of the Rings hasn't been part of my life because my dad would pick us up from school and he would just start telling us the stories of what he was reading at the time. He was slowly plotting his way through. It took a couple of years from what I remember. Um, and then we would watch it. I don't know if that was the best decision. The Nazgul are freaking terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I took the top bunk of my brother in my bunk bed when we got it just because if a Nazgul comes in here, he's going to get Timothy first. I'll be fine. <laughs> I have time to jump out and escape. So not very good older brother. That's hilarious. But anyways, so for my dad, the books and the movie have always crossed over. And when I was little, he would always explain things. So to me, Radagast has always been in the Lord of the Rings, even in the movies, because that moth that comes to Gandalf in the movie. Wait, is that a reference to Radagast? So in the book, what happens right before Gandalf goes to Orthanc, which is in June, everything's really dated well in the books. Yeah. So... He goes to Orthanc, uh, Saruman's tower, in June. And he goes there because Radagast comes and tells him, hey, Saruman wants to talk to you. And Gandalf says, okay, send all beasts and birds of goodwill over that way so we can work things out. And so he goes, and he's betrayed by Saruman, but he told Radagast to do that. So Radagast does. And there's not specifically like a moth mentioned or something, but then they get wind of the fact that things have gone very badly wrong. Gandalf manages to get a message out. And the eagles come and rescue him. And so that was Radagast. Oh, so to okay. me, that's in the movies, that's always been Radagast present because the way my dad. That's really that's cool. cool. Yeah. So did Gandalf. Okay. So did Gan, Gandalf didn't know that Saruman was going to betray him, right? No. Okay. So, okay. So we talked to Radagast anyways. Mm. And, the and then the eagles came. The Palantirs <laughs> are very interesting. They are. Yeah. By the way, there's a company that is Ooh. skyrocketing named Palantir. Oh, uh, and they do some really Those evil balls, data collection right? stuff. Those are the balls, <laughs> the evil balls, yeah. right? Peter Thiel, and uh, yeah. it's a weird company. Uh, <clears throat> maybe they control the world. Who knows? But he named it after the Lord of the Rings Palantirs, which is hilarious. weird but funny. Yeah, <laughs> Pretty self-aware. Uh, yeah, anyways. But uh, they're an interesting... Okay, so uh, Francesco brought this up last time with, with Denethor, right? What Denethor and Saruman are like the two let's say, betrayer guys, mm-hmm. right? Denethor is supposed to be over Gondor waiting for the real king to return. Yeah. Betrays it. And, you know, actively is, well, 
more like passively waiting for his destruction. Saruman is actively trying to aid yes. Sauron, makes an army, and that's pretty much two towers is mostly Saruman. It's, Sar- it's the Urukai, right, who, yeah. who come to, to invade Rohan, and they have to go to Helm's Deep and all that. Uh, both of them get corrupted by the Palantirs and having that connection, that like physical connection to Sauron. Yeah. And they they become convinced that Sauron's power is so much that there's no way possible to beat it. So it's better to join it than We must join with it. him, Gandalf. Well, in Denethor's end, it's more like, <clears throat> it's just despair. In the books, Denethor is a little more... I, people get really on the movie's portrayal of Denethor. I don't think it's... I think it's pretty <clears throat> accurate. Um, they... They filmed a version where he does take out the Palantir because what happens right before he burns to death on that pyre that he makes in the books, he pulls out the Palantir and that's, there's this little subplot from the time uh, Pippin and Gandalf get to Gondor. It's like, there's something up with Denethor. There's something weird, magical thing that he's doing and nobody really has an idea what it is, but they trust him implicitly because he's their great steward and he was a great man like Faramir or Boromir, but he's slowly growing more decrepit and more uh, despairing. And so I think that was portrayed accurately. But yeah, the Palantirs, they were created by Feanor, who was the greatest and worst elf of the First Age, I would argue. Because he's, people get in Lord of the Rings for, uh, you know, being very clear cut good and evil. But the Silmarillion, you get into all, like, Feanor is the ultimate anti hero. And he made these, the Seeing Stones, and there's seven of them. Mm-hmm. And they were, I forget their early history because. Tolkien made it up retroactively. Okay. <laughs> After he'd written Lord of the Rings, he yeah. kind of tied it back. But so Fanor makes these things and it's gifted to the Numenorians. And basically they varied in size. You have the small little ball ones and you have gigantic ones that are like the size of boulders. Oh, really? Wow. Or something like that. And they were, and when the Numenorians <clears throat> came to Middle Earth, they set it up or each one in like one of their great cities. But eventually they were lost or captured or destroyed through war. And so there was one in uh, Osgiliath. Mm-hmm. Which I think it fell into the river or something. Yeah, it couldn't fish it. When out. yeah, well, oh, wait, was well, that, was is Osgiliath the port town near? Um, what is it? Yeah, near Minister. Gondor. Yeah, so it's the so Gondor was set up when it was set up. You had every time you explain something, you have to go back and explain another thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. That's part of the fun, but it's yeah. also it can, it can it's, get a, it's a whole world, man. Yeah, Middle Earth. Well, Osgiliath yeah. is like down on the plain, right? Yeah. yeah. So that was the original capital of Gondor. You had. Minas Anor, Osgiliath, and Minas Ithil. What happened in, I think, the Third Age. The Third Age is really, really long. It's like 3,000 years long or something like that. And that's the age that Lord of the Rings, it, Lord of the Rings yeah. is It's in. at the tail, it's at the of, the tail end of the Third Age. Yeah. So there's 2,000 years, or actually no, 3,000 years of men going on between uh, the end of the Second Age, which is the prologue of the movie that takes place in the Second Age. Mm-hmm. 3,000 years or so. Uh, Lord of the Rings. And so somewhere in that time, when the Witch King, I think, was doing his stuff, and Sauron wasn't active, but the Witch King was, the Nazgul descended on Minas Ithil, made it Minas Morgul, and that's what you see in Lord of the Rings. Oh. And so there was a Palantir there. So nobody knows what happened to that Palantir, but that's probably the one that Sauron has. Was Minas Morgul where Sam and Frodo go? Yeah, Yeah, that was when they they captured there. They climbed that staircase. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's where... Got it. That's where the army comes out, right? Yeah. Right near the stairs of Sirithungul. Mm-hmm. Boy, that so was, that uh... used to be a town of Gondor that the yeah. Nazgul Witch King took over. Mm-hmm. 
and that became his city. The Witch King of Agmar. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah, so that, that makes sense. That, huh. Right. So and yeah. then Mordor, uh what was Mordor before so Sauron? Then? Mordor was just it was just kind of a place, and then Sauron gets there and he builds it up. And then all the wars happen. There's like a seven year siege of uh Baradur. And then eventually That's in the second age with the Sealdor? Yeah. Okay. And uh Elendil, his father, and then the War of the Last Alliance happens. Mordor is abandoned and depleted, but the foundations of everything Sauron built is still there. But Gondor uh, took pains to you know keep a watch on the walls, and that really kept in peace for a while because Sauron wasn't going to return to where his enemies were strong. He's mm-hmm. an uber powerful demon, but he's he has to work in practical means. Yeah, and so uh, I I'm not sure if the Black Gate was built by the Numenorians. I don't think it was, but there are definitely towers <clears throat> on by the gates that were built by Gondor. And they built a lot of watch posts along the walls that were taken over by Sauron later. And Minas Morgul was one of those. And so, okay, where do we? And the Witch King, the yeah. Nazgul, is the one who is under Sauron, and and they are fallen men kings, yes. right? And then they, so they were given the Ten Rings, nine, yeah, or nine. Who who are they given it by? Sauron by Sauron. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so the one it was ring- for the purpose of corrupting them. Yeah, and they were promised, you know, all this power and the power to, you know, dominate, control the wills of other people. Was Sauron like like Mithrandir, like an actual like so, walking around wizard at one point? So that's one of the coolest things is Sauron in the Second Age. Um Sauron is actually the most recurring character in all of the mythos. He is Lord of the Rings is named after him, for one thing. Yeah. And so you could argue that he's the main character. He just has the most presence and the most activity. The first age is all about Morgoth who is Satan himself. But Morgoth is kind of lame. I'm not going to lie. He's intensely powerful, but he's also a huge coward. And so he sits in his fortress underground and doesn't, he leaves once when one of the high kings of the elves comes out to do battle with him after this uh, cataclysmic, I guess it was a siege of uh, Morgoth's fortress that the elves lose through betrayal and stuff like that. And Morgoth comes out to fight him. He, of course, he beats the elf, but he gets stabbed seven times in the foot and never recovers from that wound. So he just limps back and just sits there for the rest of the time <laughs> until the end. So he's kind of he's he's powerful. I don't want to undersell him. Sounds like but, Nate Diaz. Oh, uh, get out of here! <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, he's he's kind of lame. Sauron, on the other hand, is the one going around doing stuff. Oh, and okay. Tolkien said at one point, I don't know where this is from. That Sauron, you could argue that he's more evil because he willingly served evil. As opposed to just being evil, I guess. So I didn't know there was like a literal Satan figure behind yeah. Sauron. Mm-hmm. That, well, like, I, I l- think almost get, never gets mentioned. Well, right? I figured like if you think about it more deeply, I thought Sauron uh, was like the guy. You know? Well, okay, so okay, all this information we're talking about is in those books, right? That we have in front of you. The, uh, no. <laughs> well, so, those, where, those are where is all of stuff, that? Right? Where is oh. all that we're talking about? This found. So this can be found. A lot of the side details about like what Tolkien thought can be found in the letters of J.R. Tolkien, which I have here. Um, the Silmarillion itself. And then there's this big 12-book volume, 12-book volume, 12-book set of volumes called The History of Middle-Earth. And so you have Lord of the Rings, and the Silmarillion is the history behind Lord of the Rings. And the history of Middle-Earth is the history behind the Silmarillion. It's basically, from what I understand, it's a big compilation of all of the notes and all these random little things like... Um, the marriage customs of the elves and all this side information and a lot of different philosophical ideas and metaphysical ideas of how the world goes. 
So I have never read any of those because they're big and hard to find. Am I the only one who just does not like elves? <laughs> oh. yeah, I have friends I, who would fight me you. too. Kind oh, really? Of. I'm me, just like uh, me too. Well, they're tall, they're very like, they're very sneaky, you know. kind of in there. They think that they're it so looks, you know I'm so cool. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least that's here. I could be wrong, but I, wrong. I I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so Elrond is all serious all the time. Like, isn't there on. a Middle Earth, a High Earth, and a Low Earth? Um, I guess if you want to think about it in that term, Tolkien kind of lifted that from Norse mythology, the Middle Earth idea being mm. the main world of people so you have i don't know if he has a lower earth there's never any mention of like a hell there's the void but i don't think that that's a place per se there's no description of it and or the abyss i think my oldest sister michaela literally knows everything about lord of the rings i mean all everything that we're talking about middle earth high earth low earth or whatever we're gonna call that all the characters, it's nuts. I got to talk mm. to him. I don't know why I haven't talked to him. I got to talk to him. <laughs> uh, so was Sauron, what, okay, so when did, how did he come about? When was his existence? And then how did he develop over time until we, yep. so um, what was he originally? Sauron was the same order as Gandalf and Maiar. Okay. Um, and there are, I think there are 12 Valar, something like that. I don't really no more care much. There's about five that. of the Gandalf types, right? Of those wizards. So those, they're a special subset. They're the ones who came to Middle Earth. There <clears> are <throat> thousands more that oh, okay. are rarely, rarely mentioned. But Sauron was one of those. He was a Maiar of Aule. And Aule's, he's definitely the Valar with most personality. He's one who created the dwarves out of impatience and disobedience to, there is also <laughs> a god. There's Satan, you have god, Iluvatar, who's the one. And so Aule creates the dwarves and uh, Iluvatar gives them life. That That's a whole interesting, fun little side story. But yeah, Sauron was one of his Maiar. And so Aule was the Maiar of crafts and smithing and metal and gems and jewels and everything. And it's really interesting how most of the bad stuff that happens in Middle Earth derives from him, either directly or indirectly. Um, Saruman was one of his as well. Um, the Noldor, they're the order of elves who were most into all that stuff, smithcraft and building, and they're the ones who initiate a lot of the crap that goes down for the next three ages of the world. And so that's a whole, you could spend a whole podcast talking about the Noldor, but, and that's Elrond is a Noldor, Galadriel is a Noldor. So Sauron was like similar to Gandalf. Yeah, he was an angel. So he was an angel. Okay. And so he was the greatest of the fallen angels that followed Melkor, who becomes Morgoth. Morgoth is a title that Feanor gives him. I think it means black foe of the world. Oh, dang. And so after Morgoth did some cataclysmic stuff. But so Sauron starts out as his uh, second in command, basically. And he would, you know, go fight wars, lead battles, whatever. And he's only defeated once that I believe by Luthien. Who, if you've heard of Baron and Luthien? It's raining. It's raining. Oh, no, I've never heard of that person. Who is that? Okay. Sauron got defeated once. Yes, by Luthien. <clears throat> Baron and Luthien, that's a whole other. Uh, that's Tolkien's fairy romance story. It's the story of Baron and Luthien. It's also got some of the darkest, most intense stuff in it, but it's, it's a perfect story, I would say. But yeah, Luthien is based off his wife or inspired by his wife. Baron is inspired by himself, and it's it's pretty funny to see. Um, 
because it's his wife, so he makes her a half angel, half high elf, uh, demi goddess, wonder woman thing, and she's an amazing character. But yeah, and so she's the only person who ever defeated Sauron. And in the first age, Sauron's more of a sorcerer, like in The Hobbit, you kind of get that vibe. The sorcerer of Dol Guldur or whatever. Oh, yeah. And so he's a shapeshifter and lord of wolves, which is interesting. And so in the first age, you know, he's just, there's not much to him. He does his job and he does it very effectively. But um, at the end of the first age, the Valar come to Middle-earth and they settle Morgoth. They banish him into the void. And then Sauron is given a chance to repent. And he almost does, but he's too proud to do it. And so he hides in shame for a while and then decides the men get their own island. It's called Numenor. The elves live in uh, Middle Earth that you know we know of from the movies and the books. And Sauron decides to continue the mission of his master and become the next Dark Lord. So he, this is where the timeline gets fuzzy for me. But he takes on a lot of different forms in this time period. You have his Dark Lord persona, which is the main one. And he goes to war with the elves for a time. But then the men come in, the men of Numenor, and they're all descended from... Yikes, I don't want to go into all this right now. But we could, but it would take up all the time. (laughs) Yikes. But the lineage, Aragorn and Arwen, their ancestry is insane. And basically the entire story of the Silmarillion. Arwen's an elf. Yes. Right. Technically, yes. Okay. And Aragorn is from the line of men. Yeah. Son of Arathorn, heir to uh, Asildor. Yes. Which means he's a Numenorian by blood and the Numenorians. And he's a ranger from the north. So the line of Asildor got broken at some point. Yes. So what happened was you had two kingdoms, Gondor and Arnor. Uh, Sauron does some stuff. Numenor gets sunk into the ocean, essentially. Actually, that's that's really interesting. He come he takes on the form of the Lord of Gifts, quote unquote, named Anatar. And he's very, I don't think like a really pretty elf or something like that. And that's the form he comes in, and he's giving both elves. Wait, 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 wait. Sauron comes as a really pretty elf? Something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There's some disturbing fan art of uh, pretty Sauron. (laughs) I hate it so much. It's the weirdest thing. (laughs) But Sauron elf art. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, So (laughs) did you know that Sauron was a sexy elf? (laughs) That's what – there's a new – a second age of Middle Earth show coming out, and that's what everyone's excited what? for. Is sexy Sauron? <laughs> sexy Sauron. How did you hear that? You have your buds in. <laughs> Crap. Yeah, it's a it's a time. <laughs> but yeah, he that's under that guise is how he convinces them to start making rings. The elves to make rings. Oh, and the elves were the ones who made the rings. <clears throat> so yeah, with. Sexy Sauron. <laughs> the elf. Yeah. Well, he corrupted them. Sauron put his will into so, the ring, right? Which elves? So the ones in Rivendell? That Rivendell, that comes about the end of the Second Age, I think. So you had oh, okay. Galadriel and Celeborn, uh, Galadriel's no. husband, who's cooler in all the background material, but I guess he, he's kind of boring. Um, he but they like, have, makes like a small appearance in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The movie. But he's, uh, you know, all those... Right after they leave Rivendell, and they're kind of wandering through the rocks, and 
like right before they get to Moria and the and Karadras, the snowy mountain, that used to be Galadriel and Celeborn's kingdom called Holland. And Celebrimbor lived there, the grandson of Feanor, so he was the greatest smith of his generation. So he worked with Sauron before they 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 couldn't figure out who he was. They knew he's some great power, but they don't really understand it. And he's underselling himself here as this, you know, friendly neighborhood blacksmith, I guess. And but then eventually he convinces Celebrimbor to start working on the rings. And they make all these little rings, but then Sauron instructs him how to make the nine rings for men, the mm-hmm. seven for the dwarves. But Celebrimbor, this is where the timeline gets a little fuzzy for me, but Sauron makes the one ring. Mm-hmm. And because they had used his knowledge and his power to make the other rings, the one ring can enslave all the other ones. So Celebrimbor becomes aware of that. I don't, it becomes aware of is literally Ooh. the words, words that are used. I don't quite know how. Yeah. Maybe he just senses it. Um, but then he's like, oh crap. Okay. So Sauron, that's who that was. And he makes the three elven rings. So the elven rings aren't under the direct control of Sauron, but they're still linked. Okay. Huh. Yeah. But they can, they're a little bit detached from Sauron's power. Yeah. Unlike the nine and the seven dwarf kings. Mm -hmm. Got it. So Celebrimbor makes those, then gets brutally murdered in battle. And (laughs) Sauron sticks a spear through him, his arrowed corpse and uses it as his battle standard. So that's a good time. But thanks for the rings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he gets defeated in battle when the men come over and he's taken back as a prisoner to Numenor. And the men are still like super powerful at this point. The men of Numenor. Sauron is a prisoner. Sauron is a prisoner. Okay. And what he does for the prisoner next, of who? The Numenorians, the men. Oh, and he, but oh, he's really? not, oh. he's not physically a man though. He's like a spirit, right? Yeah. So he's taken on incarnate form. Okay. He took, okay. Just so we yeah. can All right. hang out with them. And he spends the next several centuries essentially eroding Numenorean culture and convincing them ultimately into like satanic worship of Morgoth. And so there's a description of the big temple they make. This is the first age? Second age. Second age, okay. Yeah. And the men make a temple to Morgoth and there's human sacrifice and everything like that. Whoa. And you have this group of men called the Faithful and Elendil is their king. Mm -hmm. And so Elendil eventually takes his sons uh, Isildur and Anarion and they escape to Middle-earth. Meanwhile, the king of Numenor takes all his forces, and Sauron has put into them this loathing and fear of death, because the in death it was originally called the gift of men, because um, elves can't leave the world. Elves are immortal. They're immortal, yeah, yeah. yeah in as much as the world exists. So they're mm-hmm. bound to the world. But el- or men, when they die, their souls can actually leave the world. Mm. Valinor isn't quite heaven. It's still in this dimension, I guess. How did Elendil make his sword? That's a big deal, right? The sort of Elendil? Yeah. I'm not quite so sure about... That was the guy that slashed Sauron's hand, Or right? was it a big deal? Like, that was the... The sword got broken, and then he cut off the finger. Yeah. Was there any more importance to the sword? Like, is it a sign for Aragorn that he's in the line of Elendil yeah. and Isildur? So it's just kind of like a symbol of him mm-hmm. taking over the kingship again. Basically, yeah. There, there are, wasn't, like, any inherent power in the sword. It was just a cool sword. They say several times that only the... You know, the heir of Isildur has the power to wield it. Huh. I don't really Maybe know. Maybe it's like a Thor's means. hammer thing. You like Maybe, can't pick it up or something. I don't <laughs> really know what that means. Yeah. Um, but in the books, Aragorn has that on him the whole time, basically. Mm. And he doesn't get it. It's not sitting in Rivendell. Yeah, what? Really? Because, yeah. yeah, like that. there's that whole human Arwen like, and, walks and by. And like, it's sitting you know, in Rivendell on, well, gonna, in the movies. Yeah. It's like, um, how, does, how does Arwen get it? 
to Aragorn, the, the sword? So in the movie, basically what happens, Aragorn is flip-flopping all over the place. He doesn't want to Oh, he brings it in Rohan. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they're about to go to Minas Tirith to fight the battle there, and Elrond rides up and gets it to him. Gets but it to him. In the book, actually, it's reforged right before the Fellowship leaves Rivendell. So Aragorn okay. was just carrying out a broken sword the entire time. <laughs> like, he was like, fighting Nazgul completely unarmed, basically. Yeah. The whole journey. It was <laughs> it's kind it's of hilarious. badass. <laughs> yeah. All right, I want to get to some, like, really key scenes in Lord of the Rings. Okay. Let's take the biggest. Frodo not throwing the ring in. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> Your take on that. <clears throat> so, hmm. Tolkien has a lot to say on that moment and the immediate subsequent moment where, where Gollum... So, spoiler right. alert for everyone, right? Frodo gets all the way to Mount Doom. All he has to do is throw the ring of power into... Mountain Doom, and it'll be destroyed. And Sam's right there with him, and Sam tells him, you know, what what are you hesitating for? And then Frodo turns around and says, the ring is mine, and then puts it on. Stuck to him like a ham sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) And then Smeagol, Gollum, uh, grabs a hold of him, bites it off his finger, and then as he's, you know, celebrating whatever, trips, and both Gollum and the ring fall into the fire. And uh, then they get rescued. Eagles by. So, yeah, that scene. How does how does yeah? What does Tolkien interpret out of that? I guess. So then we could talk about it. Somebody wrote a letter to him asking, like, doesn't this mean that Frodo failed? Like he doesn't complete mm. the mission. Mm. Ultimately, it's uh, That's total true. providence. That's true. Yeah, that's a really good point. And so what Tolkien says is that the ring was an extraordinary burden that, and people kind of overlook Frodo and kind of mock him for being useless, right? Uh, you know, Sam and Aragorn carry the fellowship, but quite literally at some points, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Frodo was the only one he said, he he's very clear on this. Frodo was the only one who could actually carry the ring for that long. Even Sam would have failed to actually physically keep a hold of the ring because he had just the soul for it basically. And the, you know, the wisdom and the prudence and the knowledge to do it and to make that journey. But it's just, He's carrying around the will of uh, the guy who stepped down from Satan. For He has it for 17 years of his life. And then this journey, this insane journey, he's being chased constantly. There's all this danger. He's constantly being wounded by it. And he puts it on a few times. And so there's just, he's constantly being dragged down by it. And he does it. He makes it to that point. And so Tolkien says that Frodo, he did all that he reasonably could have in that moment. And that's more than anyone else could have done. And I guess as Catholics, that's we have to do what we can all to the bitter end, even if we fail. It's still the fact that we did it. But then because he did, ev- he got it to that point, right to the ledge. And then what Tolkien says happened, Gollum bites off the finger and he's dancing around. And he just, in the movie, they have Frodo kind of like wrestling him. And I think Frodo kind of pushes him off. But in the books, Frodo was just, you know, his finger's bitten off. So he's hurt and bewildered Gollum is dancing off and he just falls off the edge Tolkien describes that as one of the three moments where Iluvatar who's God himself directly intervened and all he did was just sweep Gollum off his feet and send him flying down wow (laughs) jeez so for Tolkien that moment is you know it is the bitter end and had but because Frodo had done everything he could have he was 
as virtuous as he could have been despite the circumstances and everything, he got it to that point. And so grace picked up my nature failed. That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but it's crazy, right? I mean, and Frodo, Frodo made that journey and everything, but at the very end he goes, the ring is mine. So was he overtaken so much by that, that he literally said the ring is mine? Yeah. Like it was so, it was such a burden that entire time. And yeah, and he, there was multiple times where he said, please take the ring like somebody else, yeah. to somebody else. His and endurance was insane. His endurance was like, uh, how do you, how do you carry around the will of Sauron? Couldn't imagine the strawberries and cream. Dude. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Sam could, I mean, Dude. that's a different type of despair. Sam was Can't pissed. He just wanted, can we cream. get this crap over with? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I will literally carry you to the top of the mountain just with Gollum trailing me just to finish this. Yeah. I'm sick of this. I want to go home. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's a huge battle where all the Nazgul are like down there, and yeah. it's like the mm-hmm. everybody's fighting. He's just like, "I'm sick of this crap. Let's get this over with." <laughs> a lot of people also have Sam as like the hero of the Lord of the Rings. Is Sam? Yeah. He's the Christ figure. He is the one. Um, I when I first read the books and like watched the movies, like I think Sam's amazing, but like he him being the star of the show. I don't know. What do you what do you think of that? So that comes from Tolkien himself. That does? Oh, so, well, but he explains that. I mean, I know more than Tolkien about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he says that Sam, I think he calls him the, pr- the principal hero, the chief hero of the story, because he's ultimately, in terms of heroism, he's the most heroic. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the most virtuous, the most constant, the most loyal, the most brave. And, um, but he's not perfect either, which is interesting i mean he you know he literally cares for carries frodo to the end and he frodo could not have done it without sam yeah is the thing so ultimately it was contingent on him the whole thing uh the whole thing success mm. and so you know and that you know the humility i'm thinking words i don't know how to quite describe it but you know like the underdog almost the unexpected yeah. hero at the end and and it's really funny how you have like well, not funny. It's, it's amazing. You have Frodo who's journeying on this thing, but then you have like the better angel and the bad angel next to him yeah. the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. The fallen <clears throat> hobbit who's trying to tempt him, all this stuff. And then the the faithful friend who's trying to get him to do the best. And then, you know, that that really on the stairs of Sirithungul or Kirithungul. Sure. I don't know how you say it. Yeah, Tolkien hated uh, soft seas. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sirithungul. Uh Oh, he hated soft seas. Okay. Yeah, Kirith. Kirith. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then he tells Sam, go home, right? And then Gollum betrays him. Like, he picks the betrayer and then mm. gets betrayed. And then, uh, yeah, and it, they don't meet. Gollum doesn't come back again until until Mount Doom, right? He From trails him point. for a while. Um, well, he... Well, that's only... Well, I think they end. mentioned <clears throat> while they're going, like, they sometimes can, like, see somebody in the yeah. background who's still following them, and it's it's Gollum. Well, okay, so... Let's, talk, with them the about, whole let's way. talk about that a little bit, though, because would Frodo and Sam have made it if they didn't have the guidance of Gollum to get through to Mount Doom? No, they really wouldn't have. That's Which nuts. Is, that's crazy. Yeah, and that's and there's sometimes where Gollum like gives them really like necessary things for them to continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like if they didn't have the staircase, they wouldn't have made it. Like, no, absolutely. yeah, they wouldn't. Like they gone. were at the Black Gate and they were just like, let's just rush it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and Gollum's like, what are, you, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> No, there's another way. And yeah. then there's that I'll just amazing. Just climb over the black gates. There's what? that. There's the amazing, amazing scene where they go down and Frodo like covers himself in sand with that. It was oh, a tarp, that. but it was like a rock. Yeah. And the, the guys close. came up right there, and they were just looking around because they saw some of the rocks, you know, coming down to the side. 
Yeah. Let's just screw it and do it. Let's rush it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's going to work. You have a massive black gate in front of you. Mm-hmm. Take these stairs that are super steep. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he he is kind of necessary for the quest. And that's that's one of the themes uh, Tolkien really liked was, you know, Bil- the pity of Bilbo. That comes up several times. And it's like, why don't you just kill Gollum? He does deserve to die. He's a murderer. He's just this little savage little wretch. scum. Yeah. Yeah. And he <clears throat> murdered his brother mm-hmm. or his friend. I don't know what Deagle was. Something. I think they were related. I think they were close friends. friends. Or they were just friends. Yeah. Oh, I think they were close friends. I always thought they were like cousins or something. Oh, yeah. that fish where they're, that scene where they're fishing. <laughs> and like he just throws, there's no hook or anything. There's just like just a, a line. line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, well, there's a, obviously, oh, there's like funny. a device where catches this but he just throws it in oh yeah, just yeah. Goes. man what a what a way to open up the movie to like they open the movie with that scene it's like so chilling it's chilling it's yeah. really it's yeah it's and then you and then it cuts to um frodo and sam like well it shows and, the craziest thing and one of the most disgusting is it shows um smeagol's descent it's it shows like his slowly his body, how yeah. it changes, and his teeth. That one it's scene so where he, freaky, when dude. he bites into that it's fish, he just goes, ah, sweet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's like, oh, God. Dude, like, the, dude, the aesthetics the, they used. Oh, God. Just, like the ugh. slow denigration of, of Smeagol. Just like his body's transformation and his teeth and just how he goes into that cave. And it's funny. He, t- like, even when Smeagol takes that, Gollum takes that form. Have you noticed in that one scene where he climbs into the cave, his face is completely different. Yeah. It's his eyes are way well, I don't know. They, they were there was just this like towards the end of that beginning scene where he changes his face is completely different than they show it later. And he just turns into this freaking weird creature. You know what's cool too? Like, okay, one of my favorite all-time characters is Faramir, actually. I really yes. like Faramir. He's safe. But I mean Faramir, when when he meets Gollum, like when Gollum gets introduced, it's almost like the reader is like Faramir. Like you identify with Faramir the most. Yeah. You're watching this, like Faramir's up on the hill and like, you know, Smeagol's over there like hitting a fish <laughs> on the rocks or whatever. Like, and you're like, sweet. yeah, like, you know, Frodo and Sam have been with him this whole time and he's been saying all this crazy crap. And then Faramir's like, just obviously like, okay, should I give the command? Should I kill him? I mean, like all of us have been waiting for that this whole time, you know, like, mm-hmm. as readers. And yeah, that theme. Wow. That's, that's an interesting thing that you brought up of, what is the punishment due to Smeagol and who is the one to met it out? Like at all those different points, you'd be like, okay, maybe they're justified. I mean, even when they, when they first catch Gollum, they're like, okay, well, do we just leave him here? Like tie him up? And he's yeah. like, no, it's going to kill him. And they're like, well, okay, do we do that? You know, um, Bilbo didn't kill him. Um, there's in it, the book, actually, there's more. Um, there's this whole several month long journey that Aragorn goes on when, so in the movie, it seems like a series of months, but between uh, Bilbo's birthday party and when Gandalf comes back and Frodo sets out, that's a whole sequence of s- or 17 years oh, where Frodo is sitting in the shower. And so actually Gandalf tells him about all this stuff. There's that scene is like uh, Sam is eavesdropping, that whole thing. Dropping eaves. Yeah. I've been dropping no eaves. <laughs> <laughs> Something about Maybe a dark dropping. lord in the end of the world, but I didn't hear anything. <laughs> but that that's in April. <laughs> Frodo sets out to actually go to Bree. Um, in September. So Frodo really drags his feet to go. But in all that time, Gandalf is just doing recon. He's just trying to figure out 
what is this ring? Because they they're not sure if this is the ring yet. And Which it eventually he, turned out it was. Yeah. And that's ultimately the, when Gandalf comes in, chucks in the fire. That's the final test. Yeah. But he and Aragorn had been going around trying to figure things out. And so one of the components was figuring out Gollum's role in the story and how did Gollum get the ring. So Gandalf recruits Aragorn to go out and track him down. So he, eventually he does in Aragorn. Oh, that's such a freaking yeah. cool like sub story. Yeah, there's that's actually really cool. a, a fan film that was made, uh, The Hunt for Gollum. It's pretty good. Uh, it's a fun little thing it's like about maybe an hour and did they find out at the very end that about well they went did they find Gollum? yes yeah, so aragorn gets Gollum, sticks him in a bag Gollum bites him at one point <laughs> never <laughs> says a word to aragorn so he just yeah he, at one point aragorn is in the council of elrond in the book he's just again he stank i didn't talk to him it sucked i just gave him to gandalf and left uh, but throughout that uh wait what's the point of this Gollum? oh the pity oh, the pity yeah, of pity yeah, yeah. um Gandalf eventually gives him to Legolas's people, Thranduil's people in Mirkwood. And they're, they just kind of pity him. And so he's like, oh, you want to go climb trees? Okay, we'll take you out in the woods. You can go climb trees. And of course, when he does that, he coordinates this whole rescue with this band of orcs. So oh. Gollum escapes. But everyone is just, you know, nobody feels like they have the right to kill Gollum, mm. even though he deserves it. <clears throat> Nobody's like, this isn't my right. The only people who I guess would have had the right was Gollum's... Uh, family in his town from when he originally killed Deagle. But, and then just the pity, just see the wretch he's become. And those two factors keep anyone from really seriously trying to bring Gollum to justice. And yeah. because they really wouldn't be justified in doing that, even if he deserves it, it's not up to them to, you know, take the shot. So ultimately it's that pity. It's that mercy. And it's the recognition that this isn't my place. Mm. I can't reach out and take this justice. Then it would be a, a vice, not a virtue. And because of that, uh, providentially Gollum was the one to complete the act and save the world. Essentially. Another interesting, interesting thing about that, which actually uh, darkened Sam, Sam's character a little bit was Tolkien talks about in one of the letters. And I was really fascinated to find this because Nobody's ever talked about this, but it is partially Sam's fault that Gollum isn't redeemed because he really, when Frodo just kind of trying to reach out to him, nobody had ever done that in 500 years of his life. And so he actually was becoming, Smeagol was coming out a bit more and that the good hobbit that was once there was, was still reachable. And Frodo was really hoping that he could find that, but Sam's constant just you know mistrust and <clears throat> degradation of him yeah. that kept him from ever fully trusting Frodo and Sam. Dang, and ever, I didn't think about. I that. mean, it reaches kind of like when they're leading him through the marshes, like before they get attacked and stuff. You're like, wow, Smeagol's kind of like coming out a bit more, yeah. you know? Like, mm-hmm. and then you know, uh, Sam's always kind of skeptical the whole way through, but then a series of things happens, and then you know. Gollum's back and and Sam's yeah, but that's that's really interesting. That may be another one of my like implicit like okay, well Sam's not the you know perfect Christ hero that everyone makes yeah. him out to be. I never knew Tolkien mentioned that as well. Like because mm-hmm. yeah, Frodo be- believes that Gollum can cooperate with them and not he doesn't just he tries and call him Smeagol too right yeah and that yeah. was a huge moment for Gollum that's a huge thing nobody used that name in 500 Smeagol. years yeah. My name. yeah 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 in the movies it has that like he's like suddenly like, Sme- yeah. Smeagol what did you call me yeah. you once weren't very different from 
Oh, yeah, Frodo yeah. reaches out in mercy. Sam yeah. doesn't see him as ever being able to. Um, yeah, and then that leads, that kind of leads Smeagol back to like, well, Sam mistrusts me. Maybe I'm just going to be. Yeah. Okay, if you want it that crazy. way, then sure. <laughs> then I'll make it happen, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, this is a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy on Sam's part. Yeah. Hmm. That's a good point, yeah. I mean, we do see that whole mistrust of that Sam had of Gollum because, well, let's, it was, okay, so they did it so perfectly because Sam and Frodo, Gollum guided them very well, and they eventually made it to the Black Gate under Gollum's supervision because they wouldn't have known how to get there. Mm-hmm. They were lost. They were con- There were scenes in the two towers where they were cons- um, many times just got lost yeah. in the, I don't know, what do you call? The Emin Muil. Yeah, it's like the kind of outer part of the the actual mountain, right? Like the yeah, just a bunch sharp of rocks. rocks. And, yeah. Um, and they multiple times get lost. Just, they can't figure this out. Um. And so Gollum leads them successfully to where they need to go. But at the very end, when Frodo and Sam are climbing up the mountain, you see Smeagol on top of this rock. And he, then he has a rock in his hand, I think, and he just starts fighting them mm-hmm. because he goes, Smeagol lied. And he said that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like Gollum lied or yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, Frodo's like, you swore on the precious. And then yeah. Gollum... Ooh, he swore on the precious, and then the precious yeah. killed him eventually. Mm-hmm. You know? He grabbed it and he fell off, and yeah. it's treacherous. It will hold you to your word. And yeah, I guess it did. Did Gandalf say that? Uh, Frodo. Oh, Frodo said that. Okay, uh, recruits Gollum. Yeah. By the way, Gandalf. Awesome. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. He might be my favorite character. <laughs> yeah, out of everyone, just yeah, badass. You know, I, I just what's the favorite? Oh, when he hits Denethor in the head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the greatest. So prepare satisfying. for battle <laughs> it's, it's so like, satisfying prepare it is. flee for your lives flee flee for your lives prepare everybody's like looking battle. up like what happened to that guy and <laughs> he just gets hit in the head and you're like yes yeah. <laughs> and the sound effect they used for it was just like perfect just yeah like, doink yeah. <laughs> but yeah so when, when he disses uh, what is it worm what's the worm guy's tongue. worm tongue yeah, yeah. keep worm, your fork tongue behind your teeth yeah I've not passed I, I did not do pass through Fire and water to mince well, words with a witless worm. <laughs> so let's like, talk. Yeah, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about um, more of the symbolism. I think we can draw with Catholicism when they meet. Bro, the, like when the they whole meet, book, dude, yeah, when they meet the King of Rohan, yeah, who's obviously overtaken by Sauron. And he's like Theoden, possessed. It's crazy and possessed. And Gandalf goes there and he goes, "I release you." And then nothing happens, and Theoden starts laughing in his whole. <laughs> you <laughs> have no power. Right here. And then he goes, takes his staff, and then like. Shoves him back and then, uh, what does he say? You have no authority here or something like that. That's like an and exorcism he, scene. And he gets him out. So, ooh, my dad. Um, exorcism, that's what I was meaning to say. He, was, this is a whole story, but he ended up getting involved with like deliverance ministry, which eventually meant like, you know, exorcism stuff. <clears throat> and he can't say anything about what he sees there. But he comes back, and the first thing I remember him saying was like that scene where Gandalf casts out Saruman is the most accurate thing to an exorcism that he's ever seen. Wow, um, wow! So because he's seen a few exorcisms at this point, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, that's definitely it's actually that fascinates me because it's less clear in the books that that's what's happening, and in the books it seems to me like it was more so Grima, um, his active like 
the counsel and advice and not so much actual possession. But in the movies, they make it very clear that it's Saruman's actual presence, like in Theoden's mind, and that it is way more clearly an exorcism in the movie, which I like a bit more, better than the book. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> the movies are masterpieces. I mean, oh, they they're really absolute are. Master- My dad told me that when, when they first came out, like the lines to the movie theater would be like circling multiple buildings like twice. No way. Yeah. On and, movie night. Oh, on that's movie night. Oh, and wow. like when it Premier. first came out, people got there 10 hours early. Just to that's all. Awesome. I mean, wow. <clears throat> so and it cool. was just, it was such a big hit. Probably, it's definitely my favorite trilogy of all time. I don't, I don't think there's anything that even rivals it. But um, <laughs> so many awesome scenes. Ah, the whole there's thing. so many. It's just so good. <laughs> like one of my favorites too. Like when they're uh, when they finally when when uh, what is it? Saruman's area is all filled with water, and they beat him, and they're eating the smoked meats. And yeah, up. <laughs> they're sm- We find you smoking. Yeah, and. Feasting. And then the salted sit- park is particularly good. <laughs> <laughs> and, we are sitting on a field of victory, uh, enjoying a few well-earned and, and, comforts. And uh, <laughs> Legolas and Aragorn and Gimli are there, and they're just they're just laughing. And then yeah. Gandalf's like, "Hobbits." <laughs> yeah, that's an extended scene in the uh, well, not an extended scene. That's a um, in the books. There's like a whole chapter of them yeah. just hanging out, just eating it's food. So it's just so satisfying. It's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. They actually- find they find all the um the pipe weed from yeah. Hobbiton yeah. because Saruman had been stashing it. Yeah. He yeah, really yeah. liked wait, it. Wait, is that what is that why? So it's actually yeah. like an important oh, okay. plot point. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so, so oh, Treebeard he- was there. They they overcome the whole thing because they right. let the dam loose. But I was wondering where did all that how they identified that obviously because they've been smoking it their whole life. Where did <laughs> Where did Saruman get all that? So in the books, it all culminated. This was, I remember my dad telling me about it. And I thought it was the most anticlimactic thing. They do the whole journey. They get back after the ring is destroyed. Aragorn is king. They do this big wedding tour eventually. Like everyone gets married. Mm -hmm. And then finally the hobbits and Gandalf go back to Bree. And they find a, that things aren't quite right in the Shire and they're really surprised. And then uh, the innkeeper at the Prancing Pony finds out that Strider becomes king and it's the funniest thing ever. <laughs> he's like, that bum in the corner, like he's the ruler of the world now. He's like, surprise. I was like, what is he going to do to us? But probably just leave you alone. He likes you. <laughs> um, but then they find out that Saruman, he doesn't die at the beginning of Return of the King in the books. Um, Grima, doesn't, or Grima does kill him, but... They took that scene from what's called the scouring of the Shire. And basically, Saruman, after his defeat, he's, he still has some of his power left. So he manages to convince Treebeard to let him out of Isengard. And so the one place that he still has any power is the Shire because he got Lotho Sackville Baggins as an agent <laughs> on no his way. side. And so, because he needed to scout out the Shire to figure out where the no hobbits were. Freaking way. And so he was getting shipments of pipeweed no. too. <laughs> yeah. You kidding Man me? Man has priority straight. Yeah. I'm telling you. It's a good time. When they, they, when they and then it. when they beat it and they found the storehouse and they're just like, oh, there's tons Saruman's of pipeweed. Saruman's storeroom. Well, wait, so, <laughs> yeah. so in the movie though, Saruman just falls off the thing. Yeah. And, and it's impaled by the So, but wheel. it's different in the book. Yeah, so it's way, way different. So, so. yeah, wait a what's second. the what main difference? In, okay, so in, in the, the movie, he, edition, in the movie, what, he falls I didn't, down. I don't even remember. It yeah. wasn't in the theatrical. So. Yeah, no, they cut it out. Christopher Lee, who plays Saruman, <clears throat> was pretty pissed off. Rest his soul. He was amazing. Um, was he pissed off? Yeah, because he's a he's super intense Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he read the books every year from the publishing to his death, and wow. he's the only member of the cast who actually met Tolkien. And Tolkien gave him permission to play Gandalf, if ever a movie came wow. about. 
of course he was too old by the time but yeah so the, in the movie what happens is they write up that that scene happens basically the same way but eventually gandalf breaks his staff his power is broken i think he just kind of goes back inside uh but in you know that's in the book. And then, you know, he convinces Treebeard to let him out. He goes back to the Shire. He takes over the Shire. And that vision Frodo has in the movie in Galadriel's mirror of yeah. the Shire, like all over. Burning, burning and everything. Yeah. That happens in the book. Oh, and shoot. So, no. Wait, are you serious? Yeah. Yep. No, why would that's they do like that? The, it's like the epilogue to the story is they go back and they realize everything's still oh, screwed up. And no. Saruman's yeah. still been screwing stuff why, up. Why would there be such a big difference then from the movie and the book? I, that's the last yeah. thing I'd want to see happen. Yeah. Peter Kreeft. I'd uh, rather says, see Gondor get destroyed than the Shire. Right, because that in the movie, it's beautiful because like, oh, there's one untouched thing. And that's what destroys Frodo in the book is the fact that his whole motivation was, you know, if the Shire can stay safe, I can do this. The Shire, it, it falls apart. And so that just destroys him. No. And why? it's so tragic. And what uh, I think it's, I thought it was anticlimactic when I was little, but I think it's the most beautiful thing in the world now is when they get to Bree and they're like, wait, Gandalf, where are you going? Because Gandalf leaves to go talk to Tom Bombadil. Um, As one does. Yeah, of course. And he's like, all of this was training to come back and defend your home. And no I way. forgot this. Yeah. It's Whoa. Now it wait, wait who's the Bombadil guy again? Uh, <laughs> best character in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's a whole other conversation. Oh, 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 oh he's was... the guy that never shows up, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, I remember now. I remember, I remember. Yeah. yeah. So... All of this was preparation to defend your hometown, yeah. right? And then Frodo comes back and then like destroys Saruman and um, other guy, right? Yeah. So what happens is Frodo is so broke. Like he's, I'm not touching a weapon again. I'm not going to kill anyone ever. So, but he kind of, he takes a intentional step back and the story really ends up focusing on Mary Pippin and Sam a lot more. And okay. They kind of rally the hobbits together. Uh, Pippin and Mary are still knights of Rohan and Gondor. <laughs> and so it's really it's really cool and Aragorn I think at one point reminds Pippin is like hey I can call on you so keep ready but I think he just makes him like Aragorn sits with this whole northern council and Mary and Pippin are both or at least no Pippin's on it because Mary's a knight of Rohan but yeah so they rally the hobbits they I think he takes Saruman takes Bag End as his like uh, no way HQ no way and then why the would end, they why the hell would they let him over there Oh, well, he took it over. <laughs> he comes in. He just starts doing, you know, industry. Lotho Sackville Baggins has, you know, a lot of, because they got Bag End. In the books, Frodo doesn't just leave during the night. He, like, creates this elaborate ruse where he sells Bag End to the Sackville Bagginses and goes mm -hmm. to move off into Brandybuck land where Mary is from. And, of course, that's just a shield <clears throat> to move eastward and then eventually leave. But so the Sackville Bagginses have Bag End. They're all prominent and influential. So he starts bringing all these men to come and make all these changes and they raise a bunch of hobbit like r-a-z-e a bunch of hobbit holes and you know just destroy the shire it's a bit of tolkien poking at like industrializing because he despised that but yeah so it just they uproot the shire the hobbits rise up defeat him eventually grima he becomes almost like a golemish kind of just this miserable skulking creature and eventually it's revealed that it's implied that he ate Lotho Sackville Baggins on Saruman's command. It's Wait, just, what? It's disturbing. The whole, the whole he ate a hobbit? Yes. <laughs> like Saruman <laughs> killed him and told him to eat him or something. And, uh. he did. and eventually, and then basically what happens in the movie happens. Grima stabs him in the back and then a bunch of hobbits shoot him down. And so that's the end of the story. <laughs> 
So Sorry. the entire Shire gets burned and destroyed? Yeah. Or at least completely renovated. There's got to be evil around that. Why? Yeah. That's they so do strange. rebuild. They yeah. do rebuild, and it becomes more beautiful. And actually, oh, they do? Yeah. Oh, so okay. what happens is Sam is given one of his gifts from Galadriel is the trees from Lothlorien. He, get, he gets a seed. And so he plants those seeds, the party tree. Where they have the you know party that gets cut down. Oh no! And so Sam replants it there, uh, the Malorn tree, the elf tree from uh, Lothlorien. And so everything rebuilds. He goes scattering all these seeds around, and so the Shire regrows, rebuilds, and becomes more beautiful than ever. And then they have a big baby boom. That's really funny. And then everyone gets married except Frodo. And <laughs> if poor Frodo gets the poor the movie, Frodo, Sam man. has like well, he leaves little, to the Undying Lands and stuff. He goes Does to the Undying Lands. Frodo. Oh, that's right. Wait, so wait. He's, yeah, Frodo he's completely right. gone, but yeah. in the books, he stays back. And so he stays, dude, I, I cry every time. <laughs> I know. I know. You, can't not, not, you can't not cry. You can't when, not cry. Yeah. When, yeah. when, when like, Sam's like, the very, wait, Frodo, you're not going too. Yeah. And then you're just like, no. Just, very, just, the, just the, the very. Just like, Gandalf's going and Frodo's going and all the elves are going. I cry. I cry. Literally, I think the saddest part and the most part that you want to cry. I mean, not only the credits, like the credits in the movie. The, the into the, the west the song into the i have that song i literally i t- intentionally listened to that song like a thousand times i was able to work out to that song it was so good that's amazing <laughs> we actually me and my friends we have a bunch of friends leaving and uh potentially going to austria if that happens oh, but man. so we we got put together a goodbye playlist and so one of the songs we sang was into the west oh uh, wow. it's such a it's it's such a it's nostalgic, so awesome. but awesome. at the very end, all the songs, the biggest the- thing, and it's like the pinnacle of all the Lord of the Rings, the movies putting put to rest, is when Fro- Sam just closes the door behind yeah. you, and that's it. Oh god, that's exactly that how the book every ends time. Too. I'm gonna cry. Yeah. But the fate of the Fellowship, all nine members. Tolkien actually spends a little bit of time explaining all that in the appendices of Return of the King, and it's it's pretty great. So yeah, Frodo leaves. Um, Mary and Pippin, they both become, Mary becomes the head brandy buck, a master of brandy hall, as it's called. And Pippin becomes the head of the Tooks, the Thane. And Sam becomes oh, mayor. That's right, yeah. yeah. And then Sam becomes mayor of the Shire seven times over. And has a bunch of kids, mayor one of, of whom is named Goldilocks. Goldilocks. <laughs> kind of random. But eventually, because he was able to bear one of the rings for just a little while, he's given a spot on the ships. So after Rosie dies, his wife, he gives the red book that he was entrusted with to his daughter and takes the last ship leaving. Oh, for Sam left too. Mm-hmm. So Sam eventually, uh, decades later, is able to leave as well. What happens to Bilbo? He goes with. Bilbo goes with. Uh, yeah. On the original ship mm-hmm. with. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. And what about Gandalf? Uh, Gandalf goes too. Gandalf goes too. That's right. And that scene is pretty accurate to the book. What happens yeah. to Arwen? Arwen? Because, I mean, they get married. Uh, Aragorn and her. Yeah, all the movie stuff about Arwen, I don't understand. I, oh, really? It's, yeah. it's weird. It's yeah, she, it's such a like, weird... Her fate being tied to the ring and all that. Like, I don't, I don't it was really weird. That well, is. that whole scene where the horses in the river. Oh, that was amazing. That was yeah. cool. That, so, that was true, yeah. Also, her- is that like... Okay, was that a movie thing where Arwen has this like dream of their future children with Aragorn? Is that in the books? So... Where they're like traveling to, I don't, I don't, I can't remember if it's so, in the book or not. Tolkien, I think one of the things Tolkien would have appreciated about the Lord of the Rings movies was the fact that they were able to give Arwen a much bigger role, because he said he thought the most important important part of the story 
and I don't think he meant in the storytelling sense. I think to him personally, the most important part was Aragorn and Arwen because it's a parallel of Baron and Luthien. And that's the quintessential man-elf romance of Middle-earth, which is based on him and his wife. So that mattered a lot to him, but he could never figure out how to give Arwen a place of prominence in the story. Hmm. And so I think in the movie, they did it pretty well. Um, She's not the one who comes and rescues the hobbits after Weathertop and gets them into Rivendell. That was uh, Glorfindel, who's another elf from the first age, who's who's really cool. But I think I like it better that it's Arwen who saves them, just to give her more prominence. Also, like, uh, what was the the last scene where... uh, she comes to, you know, like the big celebration that they won yeah. as just like one of the elfin maids there. And then he like picks her out of it. Like, was that in the book or was that another one of those movie? That's uh, in, it's never specified, really. Like, Arwen, like, is there a marriage ceremony or something like that? Because they didn't even the movie. I don't, I don't know. I don't wait, know are you talking about Bilbo's birthday? No, no. I'm talking about Aragorn at the very end when they yeah. defeat oh, everything. Oh, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, we've and won. Then, like, you bow to no one. You bow to no one. Oh, and then yeah, after that. Yeah. Arwen's there at the ceremony or whatever. Yeah. So what happens in the book? Oh, it's all that's spread right. out. She's, she's there with her father. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 And she's not even like prominent. She's like one of the. Mm-hmm. Well, Aragorn's like, there, get there's up here. like, well, obviously in the movie, there's that kind of love story between Arwen and Eowyn, right? Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait. No, 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 no. and Eowyn. No, 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 no. But, Arwen. but uh, before. Names, what yes. can you do? Yeah, before. Okay, so. By the way, the Faramir Eowyn thing, too, is pretty cool. That right? gets isn't whole, it, what's that? That gets a whole chapter in the book, and it's amazing. Yeah, and that wasn't in the movies, I don't think, as much. It's in the extended edition. It's in okay, the extended. One scene. Yeah, for one scene. One scene kind of that weird. was a really, it was a very nice, well, because Faramir gets, he's still, he was injured in the like medical center or whatever, yeah, and Eowyn comes and visits him mm-hmm. there, well, right? So what happens is she gets injured by the witch king. So oh, she's right. yeah. unconscious and they're not sure if she's going to live, but she's still like super depressed. Mm-hmm. Like, cause her life has kind of sucked up till this point. Yeah. And Rejected by like, Aragorn. Yeah. That, that, that's what I was talking about. Her Dad and Aragorn and, Ar- and um, what's the fair? No, 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 no. Arwen is the elf. Arwen. Yeah. No, Arwen and Eowyn, they're both kind of, there's that, they both kind of fall in love with Aragorn though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's so, that. Thing there. Oh, that's what you're, yeah. So Aragorn and Arwen, that goes way back because Aragorn was raised in Rivendell. And on his, I think it was like 20 or 21, he sets out to become a ranger. And for some reason, Elrond had just kept him and Arwen from meeting. So he only meets. So Elrond has two sons and they're Aragorn's best friends. But he never knew that they had a sister, I guess. And so they meet and then they fall in love for a little bit. And then uh, he goes off, has, has his adventures, but they're still in love. But they're like, Aragorn's like, I'm not going to marry you until i've you know fulfilled my destiny in the books aragorn doesn't have any qualms about becoming the king it's just how to get there that's Mm -hmm. his concern but eowyn meets him and they she falls in love with him but he's you know he's committed to arwen so there's never any doubt in his mind but eowyn definitely falls in love with him but i think more so because he's a king Mm. less she admires him greatly but it's more of an admiration that kind of turns into a crush but then that doesn't happen. So you're like, okay, there's, so there's nothing in life for me. So I'm just, I kind of want to die now. So she <laughs> goes into battle seeking death and she doesn't get it. And so she's like, okay, what is the point of my life? Even if they win, what do I do with my life? And eventually Faramir falls in love with her and kind of convinces her that, you know, her life has value and all these things. And eventually they do fall in love. And it's Does Eowyn go back as queen of Rohan? She goes back as wife of the steward i guess 
Lady of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, too bad. Could have yeah. been. Uh, Could have been. Should have. Could have. Would have. But, but now uh, she's happy. But uh, now, wife of the disinherited steward. Yeah. Epic. <laughs> Subpar. Well. <laughs> anyways, that's really funny though. Yeah. Um, that, I really like. There, there's a number of, almost kind of like. Lord of the Rings is very well paced. You know, like there'll be a really intense battle, but then there'll be like a really lighthearted, fun moment. Like, you know, the the pipeweed scene after uh, they yeah. defeat Saruman, the um, <laughs> the healing place. What, what is the title of that chapter? The healing place where Houses Fairman, of Healing. Houses of Healing, right? Mm-hmm. Aragorn comes by and like has like a healing power too, right? Yeah, so like that, the healing power of the that's king. That's one of the signs of the It's kings. like a Davidic. Like, yeah, it's like you know, the hands of, of the king are a hands of a healer. And one of the nurses in the book recognizes that and identifies him as the king from the... Mm-hmm. For like as soon as he gets there, because she knows this old uh, prophecy that's just kind of passed down as an old riddle almost. But yeah, so that's he does have healing power and he knows all the old herbology, I guess. Yeah. And stuff like that. Another. Yeah. yeah uh, OK, the the two you have the two men kings. Well, Theoden and Denethor and Theoden seems to kind of fl- like have those tendencies of Denethor to despair. And it's the people around him who like like snap him out of it in those different ways. I mean, you know, he got influenced by Grima and by Saruman, and it was just total despair. I mean, he was like possessed by it, you know, mm-hmm. completely. And he gets progressively out of that. And but there's all these different times where Denethor is just like, you know, what can men do against such reckless hate and all this type of stuff? Or he doesn't want to lead the charge. He's like, why would I even bother? You know? Yeah. And then he does, and they end up winning. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when they light the, the beacons, which is literally the greatest. Oh, like, that is the <laughs> another one of those like montage that, thing of all time. That is one of the most I, amazing. I, I yes. Also want to cry on that one, too. Yeah, just from like, I have. Pure, <laughs> like joy, excitement. I, well, that, every time I get chills <clears throat> literally every time. Well, he goes up there and there's those two guards, but he somehow just the music like, is so ball. Oh, oh, my it's gosh. so good. The, the, I don't know. The violins going concerned. up and yeah. down the whole time. Yeah. And then like the French horns in the background. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> and then all the ones light and then eventually reaches gun. And then Aragorn runs like a madman back there. He's like, and the mountain scenes. Oh, yeah. yeah. The beacons of Minas Tirith. The one beacons thing, of the- One thing that I want to do is go to New Zealand and do the pilgrimage that Lord <laughs> yes. Anderson. I, I will. I promise you sure, right now. Guide. This no, is the 50th show of the Cal and Alex show. I'm going to New Zealand someday and I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Pilgrimage. Let's go, baby. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Off to New Zealand with you. Actually, they probably, they're not going to let you in, but. Just say you're a big Tolkien fan. You I'm can't a big Tolkien it. fan. Come you can't on. miss it. I love Lord of the Rings. I want to do the pilgrimage. They're, they're back on their super lockdown. So oh. I don't know if they'll they're they're all proud that they're uh they're gunless and covidless, and then they get it back again. What so, are your what thoughts is- on the whole just the whole scene of Moria and like when they're trying to get in and hmm. you know the riddle speak the friend, speak friend and enter, but they couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Right? And then, you know, they make it in there. And then, you know, Gimli is like, what happened here? Where, you know, where did all my... And before, you know, they're there, they're like, Gimli says, you know, I, my cousin Balin would give us a warm welcome. Mm-hmm. And they go in there and all the... They're all dead. Oh, they're all dead. <laughs> and then yeah. the goblins are in there. And then the whole thing with the... Um, With uh, Balrog. Oh, oh, the Balrog. Yeah. 
Which is one of my most, the most amazing lines Gandalf ever has. And I, I replayed it like 10,000. <laughs> Boromir says, what is this new devilry? And Gandalf says, a Balrog, a demon of the ancient world. Yeah. And that's like, holy shit. Gandalf <laughs> has his, you know, uh, death resurrection too, yeah. Yeah. which is really crazy. In the book, actually, in that moment when Gandalf says that, Legolas screams. Yeah. The only thing that can really put fear in the heart of an elf is a Balrog, essentially, or Morgoth himself. Why is that? They have a bad history. They have a bad history. A lot of elven kings got killed by Balrogs, and they're just... Balrogs are also fallen Maiar. That's why Gandalf was the only one who was really? able to fight him. So they're, oh. they're like slightly lower angels. Who took on these you know, fiery demon forms? And he goes up there, and he's just. How many Balrogs are there? Do we know? So there was only one named, and that's Gothmog, and he was uh, a guy. I guess he was like he was cool, a lieutenant of Angband, and that was Morgoth's fortress. And so he <clears throat> he killed quite a few Elven high kings. So he probably has the highest uh, kill count. But eventually, he's killed somewhere. I and think. he turns into that. Uh. What do you mean? Well, he, so the Balrog, they were, wait, so they're like these huge dragons, basically. In the book, I don't know what the heck they're supposed to be. Okay. In the movie, they're like these big dragons where they have wings. With the horns and everything. Yeah. That's not quite the book description. There are no wings in the book. Okay. I like the movie design better, I think. It's really Oh, it's so dope. Yeah. 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 Especially the scene when he like falls down the the chasm and he's still like fighting him. That's the beginning of Two Towers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Frodo has a dream. Oh, it's so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. He's fighting on the on the hill and he's like dead and Yeah. yeah. And and but you know what one of the most amazing things for me too was when Legolas and Gimli and Aragorn are in the forest, the Elven or not the Elven, the Ent Forest. Oh, Fangorn. Fangorn, yeah. They go in there and Legolas goes, the white wizard approaches. So they were they didn't know They thought it was Saruman. They thought it was Saruman. Yeah. But one of the most amazing things is is like Gimli throws his axe or whatever, Legolas shoots. And what they do is they have Saruman's voice and Gandalf's voice going at the same time. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah. That's crazy. It's yeah. the most I don't know if you remember that, but Literally, they have... It's so trippy. It's so weird, but it's like really cool. And eventually, Gandalf leans into mm-hmm. the light and it's like, ooh, I'm Tim. Gandalf the White now. And, you know... Saruman as he should have been. <clears throat> so yeah. Saruman was still alive at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. how did he... So was the White Wizard like a position that Saruman was holding and it got taken yeah. from him? So... I don't really know what the colors specifically mean. I know Gandalf, I think he picked gray because it's a humbler, more mundane color. But what happened when the Ishtari got to Middle-earth, they get the wise. So that's Galadriel, Elrond, uh, Círdan, who's the one who builds all the ships that go into the West. And they gather them. Círdan actually, he has one of the three elven rings, the ring of fire. And he gives that to Gandalf because that ring is specifically made to, you know, inspire and lift the hearts of men. And so Kyrdan's like, I'm just chilling out by the ocean. So you're probably gonna need this more than me. So he gives it to Gandalf. So that's a big source of Gandalf's strength actually. And why he's so uh, convincing, I guess. And so they form this big council, the white council and Galadriel wants Gandalf to be in charge of it. Cause he is probably the strongest and the most powerful, but he defers to Saruman, who I think is the most obviously strong and the most skilled and the most learned for sure. And his job 
they all had different jobs. Saruman was the head of the councils. He was doing all the research, figuring out, okay, what does Sauron do exactly? How do the rings work? How, where is he? Where's the ring? Let's find all this stuff. And it's that search for knowledge that ultimately corrupts him. Mm. And he gets his hands on a palantir. Gandalf's job is to, you know, run around inspiring people and getting them to fight. Radagast, that was all of their jobs originally. But everyone except Gandalf got sidetracked. Hmm. Radagast, um, well, the Valar he served, she was, you know, the the woodsy hippie one. Um, I have some friends who will kill me for saying that. But <laughs> <laughs> So what was Radagast's role then? So he was supposed to do the same thing, but I think, he, I'm pretty sure he got a secondary mission from his Valar, uh, Yavanna. She's, she's actually, she's the one who got the Ents created because her husband, Aule, makes the dwarves. And then she's like, well, now they're just going to go chop down all my trees. What the heck? So uh, Iluvatar, give me some people. So he's like, okay, so you get tree people now. And so, yeah, that's the story of the Ents. They're just made to counteract dwarves. So we have Radagast's role, Gandalf's role, Saruman's role. Then does it say anything about the two blue wizards at all? They're very absent, right? They just kind of... Tolkien says... I thought they just went out and did witchcraft or whatever. Basically. They just formed some magical cults or something like that. Yeah. So who knows? They don't matter all that much. I I love also with... I mean, just going back on the the big picture of the story, how it starts really small and it like progressively Mm -hmm. gets bigger. You know, like when they're going from, you know, uh, Hobbiton to uh, the, the Prancing Pony. Like that feels like a really big event if they're like and then you know seeing aragorn on the side it's like whoa it's yeah. really creepy yeah, it just and then progressively gets bigger. It progressively the story the real you, world yeah you, yeah you don't get just thrown into a global conflict that's going mm-hmm. on like this yeah. huge yeah. massive armies or whatever it, it gets starts it starts party. from yeah it starts at yeah. a birthday party yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my 11th birthday <laughs> 111th birthday happy birthday i don't like half of you half as well as i should like but i like less than half of you half as well, <laughs> as, well as, as you deserve <laughs> Hold on, let's say that again slowly because I want to comprehend that. I like half of you half half as much. No, I like, I don't know half of you half as well as I should like. Okay. And I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. What does that mean? Half as well as half as you deserve. I don't like you half. I don't know half of you half as well as I should like. Right. So he's like, I don't got half of you. Half of he you, wants to I want to know more. more of you. Okay, no more. Okay, all right. And then the other half of you, I like, like you less than half of you, half as well as you deserve. I like less than half of you. <laughs> I like less than half of you, less <laughs> than like, half as you deserve. <laughs> I don't know any of you very well, and I don't much like you either. But got him. You're here, <laughs> and they're all like, uh, "What? <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Keep going, Bilbo. And then uh, uh, Gandalf. Were, okay, so what is Gandalf's magic then? Because Gandalf goes. From the party all the way to Bilbo's house. So Gandalf, Gan- he's an he angel, ha- so I guess he can do what he wants. He, okay, that's what I was thinking. His specific power is fire. Really? So he gets uh, the fire. ring of fire from uh, Círdan, the <clears throat> elf. Um, it's one of the elvish rings. And that's why fireworks. That's, yeah. that's his thing. That okay, sense. yeah. Wait, is Gandalf wearing a ring? Yes. Like one of the rings of he the elven one rings? Of three elven rings. Are you what? serious? Yeah. I no never way. knew that. It, I don't think it ever comes up in the books. It doesn't, yeah. No, but why? you just got all these did, little hints. Why, why did he did, get one of the it, elven rings? Does he, can you see it in the movies? Like, did he, did he have a ring on? You see it on? in The Hobbit. That's one of the big plot points of The Hobbit. Wow. Okay. Damn. In the last movie, <clears throat> they, Sauron captures Gandalf and it like unveils his hand. There's the, the ring of fire. I forget what it's called. They all have names. I only remember Gladry. So why did Nenya. Gandalf get an elven ring? 
So he comes over into Middle Earth, and all the wizards get off the boat. And Círdan, the shipwright, he's one of the lords of the elves. Um, he got one of the rings from Celebrimbor. Galadriel got one. Elrond got the other. And Círdan's like, I'm not going to use this much because I'm just here. So you take it. I think you'll make much wow. better use of it. And so wow. that ring was specifically for you know lifting the hearts of men and you know encouraging them to do great things. It was kind of a reverse of the One Ring almost. Oh, wow. Gandalf has such a powerful role. Yeah, in Lord yeah. of the Rings. It's like the counselor. So he goes to yeah. he goes to Denethor. He goes to Rohan. He goes to Saruman. Yeah, he goes to Saruman. Yeah, <clears throat> his job is just, you know talk council. <laughs> Party uh, planning committee. That's just crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Casting out the demons of Saruman mm-hmm. out of Theoden. So who would that you is say? one of the creepiest parts of the Lord of the oh. Rings. Oh my gosh! What is Rima and Eowyn? Yeah, and freaking yeah, man. <laughs> that was just one of those yeah. like. Uh, like yeah, man. Tolkien. What can you say? You get like the heights of creepiness along with oh, like, yeah. like every part of the you know, <laughs> like we're we're we're. You can be like, oh, Smeagol is pitiable. No, you you freaking want to kill Grima, dude. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> sucks. Like, like as bad as uh, as Gollum was, he he almost is like descending into it. Like he's hurting himself more than anyone. And he gets thrown into different situations where he hurts other people. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, but like Grima is just like evil. Yeah. Like, and he's actively trying to make corrupt everything. Yeah, and he's and a perv, Rohan. and he's just kind of he's destroyed. a perv. Yeah, Grima. He's also, well, he was the guy that was with Saruman for a little while. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the actor. Uh, he intentionally he shaved off his eyebrows just to maximize the creepiness. Really? Of it. I didn't notice that. <laughs> if you watch the movies again, oh, you'll see it. No. It's just the most. Uh, it's it's Cringe. the worst. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and oh. Yeah, and he has um, what's his face? Uh, the son, the the guy Theodred. Yeah, has Theodred removed because Theodred? Yeah, like, this guy's Amir. hitting on Eowyn. He's like, yeah, and, no, like, I'm about to kill him. Yeah, and, and then, then he, Grima has him removed yeah, and yeah, stuff. Amir. You're just like the the corruption of Rohan at the time is just like so it's intense. Bad. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, and it's right after Theoden's son had died. Yeah, and he just does. He he's you know completely possessed by. That scene is so freaking sad. Like, it is really sad. It, I think yeah. it's it's sadder in the books than it is in the movie, actually. And there's that scene where uh, Gandalf and Theoden are standing at the graves. And mm-hmm. this might be extended. Yeah. I don't know. But, you know, Theoden's like looking at the flowers to grow in the tombs. Yeah. And that was actually ba- the actor of Theoden. I forget his name. But that was based. He met some mother whose son had died in a terrorist attack. And she was just mourning over the fact that, like. You know, her son, that she has to bury her own son. And so he just took that and used that for oh, Theoden's. Uh, it's a powerful. It's really powerful. That's one of the best things about Theoden, that that constant. He's got a lot of guilt mm-hmm. about the fact that he didn't yeah. act, do more and that he's not making all the right decisions. And so fight, it's so satisfying to see him lead the charge at the very end. Yeah. Right, right now. Oh. <laughs> right to right ruin, ruin. And the world's ending. It's Death. Awesome. Yeah. It's great. And then he gets freaking killed he gets bodied by <laughs> which king of back horse oh yeah by his horse yeah his horse falls on top of him yeah that, yeah. Was, that whole scene oh my gosh okay one of the most amazing scenes my body is broken my body's broken <laughs> when the what do you call him i go to I my know, father's the people that are dead that, oh the that the set uh oh uh aragorn, aragorn summons them yeah oh, they uh, go in the mountain the kingdom of the dead kingdom i don't the, remember their name they're, they're well like the, they're the, the green people thing, they just so. go yeah. in there and they kill Traitors. all 
Imagine they wreck that. everybody. They wreck yeah. everybody. They. I actually think it's less cool than what happens in the book. I'm not gonna lie. Like the Dead Army is cool, but the Dead Army. I that's think what they're, they're kind going. of. I don't understand them. That chapter in the book is written intentionally super rushed and confusedly, so you have no idea what's going on until the very end of. Mm. Uh, and then you're like, oh, that's what happened. Okay, but there are those just, who dwell in the mountains. Yeah. Okay, so that cool. all happens. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> all they do in the books is they take the ships, and then Aragorn is like, "Okay, you can go now." And so then, what he does is he takes the ships, and Gondor has all these other cities along the river. It's not just uh, Osgiliath and Minas Tirith. You have, I don't, Lebanon. That's one of them. Um, oh, Dal Amroth. There's a really cool uh, minor character who doesn't get anything in the movie. Uh, Imrahil or Imrahil. He's apparently somewhat descended from the elves. Hmm. And so he's like, uh, you have Aragorn, Denethor, or Faramir later on, and Imrahil will be like a third in command. And so you have all these cities of Gondor, and there's a great sequence in the books when Pippin gets there, and they're watching all the captains of Gondor come in with their troops, and they're like, wait, why didn't you bring more guys? And then they're all terrified that they're going to get attacked by the, uh, the Corsairs, the guys on the ships. But Aragorn comes along, recruits all of them, because now they're free from the pirates. And so then that's the army that sweeps in. And say, you don't have the ghost army. They're gone at this point. I kind of like that better because you have – it just shows more of Gondor. I don't know. It's cooler. Wait. So in the book, the ghost army isn't the, the last one to clear out the orcs no. in the end. They're it's, the ones who clear out the ships. Yeah. From it's more men of Gondor who clear the The fields. men of the south who are coming in their ships? Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. So they clear out that. But who, the men of Gondor are the ones who actually take over back the city. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been a lot more satisfying. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like they yeah. take back their own city. <laughs> yeah. Led Instead by of Aragorn, having the ghost army. Rather than like this kind of like Trump card of, yeah. you know. Uh, oh, freak. And then uh, the Dunedain. They all show up too. Oh, the Dunedain. The yeah. oh. Who are they again? Wait, so they're they were... the Rangers. The Rangers? Yeah, the Rangers oh, all the come down. Oh, the one that Aragorn was you yeah. know, a part like, of. All his people yeah. come down to support What him. a missed opportunity. Yeah. And that would have been, like the ghost army is fine, but that would have been so much cooler. It's kind of, yeah. It, yeah, it kind of cheapens the end. Right, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Because because they show know, that, in the and movie? then at the end, uh, you have um, Gimli, who's like, you know, uh, you might want to keep him around. Uh, quite nice in a tough situation or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, it's kind of like, oh, I don't know, it's kind of cheap. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, so you went up there and then you bound him by an oath to release them somehow, and then they just conquer the orcs for you. Yeah, in the books, it matters a lot less. So, yeah, yeah, because uh, I mean, they definitely were necessary in the books because they had to wipe yeah. out the. The men from the south, but mm. um, it's more of a tactical necessity. Reading the books is crazy because Tolkien note I over quarantine, I ended up finding all these tactical analyses of different battles in Lord of the Rings. And Tolkien he knew his stuff. It was it's pretty great. And so a really? lot of the a lot of the great stuff from the books and the movies, it's so cool, but it's all so well plotted as well. Because usually like Star Wars, the tactics in Star Wars battles they kind of suck pew, pew. They're, they're fun to watch but yeah it's no. just basically nothing yeah like if you analyze the books the movies not as much but the books are so amazing to just look at like from a military perspective almost but yes yeah, so the ghost army was a, a tactical necessity more than anything else even if it's cool and magical which is what tolkien achieves so well just in everything is that balance of like the super out there fantasy stuff with very practical and personal Things as well. So, how long did it take Tolkien to write Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Seventeen years. Nice. Meanwhile, C.S. Lewis was 
a powerhouse. He was, he, I think he published all the Narnia, all seven Narnia books in seven years. Wow. He was just writing constantly. Actually, I was just reading today um, about how Lewis and Tolkien, their friendship kind of eroded at a certain point. And part of that was the the weird tension between them and like what they wrote about and the pace at which they wrote. Tolkien might have been a little jealous at Lewis and how fast he was because Tolkien took forever to do anything. And <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, uh, <laughs> take a long time <laughs> to say anything. We only just said good morning. <laughs> <laughs> but it's night already. Yeah, it night. Oh, jeez. <laughs> My my mind's been exploding like this whole podcast. Just my, like the I've extent been... of the world of Middle Earth and the right. stories and the characters <laughs> and like and all the analytics behind everything is seriously. Just like, I mean, oh. you could, we could do ten hour podcasts just on like Frodo and Sam and just like <laughs> them gosh. going through there. You could do like I don't know, like five hours on Theoden. You're like, I mean, <laughs> still not even get close to oh, like man. all the different. Not even mention because the they're and they're all none of it. You know, maybe maybe some sections are a bit rushed, but like it feels like a coherent whole and it feels like each of these characters gets like a a full like we haven't even talked about Boromir uh, as, no. as well. And like Boromir and Faramir, Boromir, Fer- Faramir, Denethor and like that whole the steward, not really the king, the the brothers who are both kind of uh, have their own flaws Faramir is kind of more cold and calculated and reasonable, who's trying to get his father's approval. Boromir, who's like, you know, the beloved son, who's got like all the power and he's a strong-armed guy. He's super pride, you know, full of pride in what he does. Doesn't realize his own weaknesses. Like, like just that dynamic, you just be like, yeah, 10-hour podcast. Just oh, yeah. Bit, but yeah, Boromir and Faramir are, are very interesting. Um, the men of Gondor, you know. Yeah, I love them both. Boromir was my favorite character as a kid. Really? Legolas was the coolest, but Boromir was my favorite. I just, I just love his, uh, the redemption of his arc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's, oh. di- it's still different from the books, which, and I like movie Boromir better. Actually, I'm not gonna lie. It's really cool, but you know when he, he eventually has that like turnaround, and he goes in there, and he, I mean, he gets shot by the orc three times, the main orc, but mm-hmm. like his, his turnaround right there, and then he eventually helps and helps the hobbits and fights for them. It's a beautiful movie. Uh, it's amazing, yeah. It's really cool. In the books, <clears throat> that whole, the three of them, Denethor, Boromir, Faramir, it's very, they make Boromir more noble in the movies and Faramir less. Um, in the book, Boromir was still like a very noble stand-up guy, but he was, you know, Gondor needs no king. Gondor has no king and the steward's doing fine. So he was actually, as a child, he was frustrated about the fact that his, his father, Denethor, wasn't the king because like, He's not coming back anytime soon. So what the heck? Um, but Denethor was actually the one like, no, the king is coming eventually. We just have to, you know, keep the watch. But Boromir is a little more antagonistic throughout the entirety of Fellowship and mm-hmm. a lot less understanding of like, he just wants to use the ring and mm-hmm. he doesn't understand why they can't. But at the same time, he's very noble and he gets along with Aragorn pretty well. In the movie, they really show his more hopeful side and that they really bring out that vulnerability and his fears about... There's this great scene in Lothlorien that made me cry once, just him describing Gondor to Aragorn, just like, have you seen it? Like, being welcomed in its by beauty, the yeah. With the sound of the trumpets. wind. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. It's so beautiful. And that's not in the book, but it's one of those things that I feel like could have been in the book. It's such a beautiful scene. Yeah, that early, like... Yeah, the Boromir and Aragorn. Um, 
there's a scene in the movie where they're on the mountain. They're trying to go over the, the pass. Takes his sword. Is about to draw it. Yeah, he yeah. has his hand yeah. on his sword when he is eyeing Boromir because Boromir is looking at Frodo in the ring. Yeah. And you can tell like Aragorn is Ready suspicious of Boromir. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and as much as he's the friend of him, like Aragorn doesn't have that those weaknesses that Boromir has so no. apparent. And he doesn't trust he he trusts him but doesn't trust him. Yeah. He's keeping a watchful eye. He knows, you know, it he understands the near occasion of sin that the ring presents. <clears throat> and that's ultimately why Frodo leaves. Is he's, if this does this to Boromir, it could do this to any other fellowship. So I just need to get out and go. Mm. Um, it really shows the kingly, you know, aspect of Aragorn because he's, yeah, he, he is friends with Boromir and stuff, but like he understands Boromir more than Boromir <laughs> understands himself. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? He's like, his ability to exercise temperance. Oh, and yeah. Just totally. like be able to literally face the ring as it's calling him. Yeah. And just like say no, nope, I'll protect you with and my it, life. It is technically his birthright because that's one of the uh, heirlooms yeah. of Isildur. Mm-hmm. So he that's had, right, yeah. with he'd be within his legal right to take it. Yeah, and he still refuses because he just and I mean understands. that would give him a lot more power to come to the throne if yeah. he would have taken it. Mm-hmm. You know, Jeez. another one of those like Gandalf moments. You know, Gandalf and Aragorn both reject the ring. Um, I think if it was offered, well, wait a second. Does it get offered to Boromir? I'm I'm kind of forgetting. No, it no. doesn't. It, no, it doesn't it, he just tries to take it. He tries to he tries to take it right in that kind of time of desperation. Um, Faramir tries to take him back too because Faramir's so like that's yeah. one of, to that, piss off a Tolkien fan. Bring that up because yeah. in the books, Faramir also he just rejects it outright. He's like, yeah, I okay. don't even want to see. Yeah, it. yeah no, Faramir in the books does. Why, yeah, he why doesn't, would they have such a complete switch then? So because they cut out. All the Shire stuff at the end, with the Shire being destroyed. Mm. So that takes up a big chunk of the finale, even though they're so freaking long already. It's like, okay, how do we extend Return of the King? So we'll take all the Shelob stuff. In the books, it's at the end of Two Towers. And so they take all that, put it at the beginning of Return of the King. So that now they need a finale for Frodo and Sam's arc in Two Towers. So what do we do? Okay, we'll send them to Osgiliath, I guess. So how do yeah. we do that? Okay, Faramir will... Take them there somehow. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so, yeah. That was not in the book. And then they, no, had, they, had, they had that whole scene where the elephants were coming in, all the bad guys. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. oh, well, they do get captured Yeah, that's there. in the book. They do get captured All there. that yeah. happens, but instead, Faramir, they have a very nice dinner. Faramir talks to them. Gollum is never tortured because Faramir would never do that. Like, at one point, uh, Faramir is like, I wouldn't even lie to an orc. That's just, yeah. he's that level yeah. of virtuous. And he's he's kind of like an idealist. But the scene where, like, he does. He was. He was going to kill uh, if Frodo allowed him to yes. shoot the arrows. That was in the book because they. He was trespassing. He was trespassing. So in that case, it wasn't over. You know, and, Gollum's and, crimes it was just you're trespassing on my water supply, man. So get out. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get that either. I was like, I, I mean, just capture him. I mean, yeah. <laughs> anyways, I I didn't get that whole. I. The forbidden pool thing. I just yeah. I was like, yeah. What, what's explained. the problem? <laughs> I guess he has a he has a Texas version of gun rights. Penalty. You know? yeah. You're on the property. Shoot Get him down. You know, it's not even magical. I think it's literally just their water supply or something like that. I don't know. Oh. Yeah, it's something like so that, weird. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. but wait, does he torture Gollum? And I don't know. Okay, in the in the movie, no, in the movie he movie. does. Yeah, they really? beat they beat him up in this little cave, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Oh right. Oh, that's when he's that's when he starts like. Uh, he's kind of like crying, and then the you know he does yeah. the he switches oh, between Gollum and Smeagol. Yeah. Um. Oh, and then he mentions the ring, right? And yeah. then that's what precedes in the movie 
Yeah. Then find him. Does Faramir? He finds about out about the ring. He does. He figures it out. He figures out that Boromir tried to take the ring. Sam doesn't have to tell him. He figures it out, and he's like, "Yeah, I love my brother, but yeah, I could see that coming from a mile away." Yeah. Um, so he actually volunteered to go himself. I'm pretty sure. Like, I believe that scene happens in the extended edition, but he's told no. Boromir wants to take it up himself, so he does. But yeah, Faramir says, "Don't even take it out. I don't want to see it. If it were lying on the side of the road, I wouldn't touch it." And so he has that level of virtue. So instead, yeah. he just kind of lets them go. Faramir found Boromir's body. Yeah. Body. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because he was in a boat, right? Mm-hmm. In a boat. Oh, That's all from the book. And and yeah. right. And Frodo and Sam didn't know that Boromir had died. Yeah. Which that's, is like that's the thing. Like they didn't know even though that Gandalf came back. Yeah. <sighs> I can't. They were so yeah, out the of despair the there. Yeah. Well, I guess they didn't know. Uh, yeah, there was no way for them. They to find never out. knew that Gandalf came until the very end. Yeah. Until that scene where everyone's walking through the door. And the big family reunion. That's right. Yeah. Gandalf. Yeah. And they they thought that everyone had died, basically. I'm yeah. back, baby. I'm yeah. back, baby. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Now, that adds to, you know, Frodo's despair towards the end. Yeah. yeah it's like, well, all my friends have died, too. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I do? Well, they go, um, you know, go to the Undying Lands at the very end of The Return of the King. Guess who else goes? I'm not sure if you know this. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. Is it a man or a woman? Two males. Two males. Okay, hold on. Mm, Elrond? Yes. Yeah. Elrond He's not goes, one of the ones Elrond thinking goes. of. Elrond has to go. Uh, right? Elrond has to go. Galadriel's husband. Yeah, she goes. She Galadriel goes. goes Galadriel's too. husband as well? Uh, what's his name? Yeah, Celeborn. He Celeborn. He's okay. not a Noldor, but I guess he's logical. Mary and Pippin, do they eventually go? No. Okay. No, they don't. They right. stay. They, um, uh, Aragorn and Aomir, in their old age, they call them back. Which um, one's Aomir? Aomir is the uh, Theoden's nephew. Yeah. Oh, uh, that guy. That, okay. So he's he calls Mary and Pippin back. He's like, "Hey, I'm dying. I want to see you guys again." And so then they stay with him until he dies. And they go. Mary and Pippin at the end of their lives, they go hang out with Aragorn, and they're buried beside him in uh, oh, wow. Minas Tirith. Does Does Aramir become king of Gong? Uh, sorry, of Rohan. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So Mary and Pippin eventually die, they right? Die. And then who? They're buried next to who? Aragorn. Really? Oh, that's dope. Dies. Aragorn dies only like two fifty years of living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa, dang! So is that that's at the very end of the book, or like whatever? It's that's like the in ending the stages. Do, do we name the two people? No. The two, oh, okay, okay. Are they a prominent figure in the Lord um, of the Rings? Okay, okay, hold on. Uh, the gaffer. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish. The gaffer goes to the Far Havens with yeah. uh, Tom Legolas Bobbidle. and Gimli. Yes. Oh no way! Legolas and Gimli. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, so yeah. why do they go? So Legolas actually, the elves who go across the sea. Or the Noldor. Legolas isn't a Noldor. He's a a Sindarin or Sindarin, however you want to say that. And so his people, the reason they're allowed to go to Valinor is because they left Valinor in in the first stage Mm -hmm. as part of a rebellion against the Valar. And eventually they're exiled. And then at the end of the first stage, it's like, okay, you can come back. And so slowly over the course of several, or the second and the third age, they go back. And the last people to go are kind of like the lords of the elves who are just holding on a little bit. To save what they've uh, they've made in Middle Earth, but Legolas, his people never went. So for him to go is pretty surprising. And then Gimli's allowed to go, which what? is insane. Why? No dwarf was ever allowed to go to Undying Lands. <clears throat> well, um, Gimli was such a prominent figure, and he yeah. was a badass. So. So, and he was <laughs> no. fr- it was his friendship with Galadriel because that's super significant. Giving her, her giving him the hair. <laughs> wait, 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 when was that? In uh, in Fellowship, was that extended? I hope that wasn't extended. 
Oh, wait, wait, wait. He gave her. So, or she gave him. She gave him what? So she's giving all the fellowship gifts. Oh, and he asked for her hair. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> it was like, I asked soup. for one lock from her golden head. She gave me three. And so because, and he spends the rest of that voyage down the river trying to figure out, okay, so what crystal do I put it in? How do I like case this? And like, well, that's not in the put movie. It in my, it, it's in the extended. <clears throat> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. And so mm, the reason that's that. significant was because Feanor, the greatest elf of all time, um, in the first age, or before the first age, Ask Galadriel for her hair because she's so beautiful. And she's like, no, F off. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and so for her to give it to a dwarf. Yeah. That and she's one sense. of the daughters of the highest of the elves. Yeah. And so that just mends all of the hurts between Durin's people and the Noldor. Wow. Essentially. So from then on, Gimli's an elf friend. And so he's given special permissions. Legolas, act- they make their own boat and go. Legolas and Gimli do? Yeah. That's mm, freaking. That's awesome. so dope. Do we know? Yeah, my- the, the friendship of Legolas and Gimli it's too. We so have, it is hilarious. That. It's oh, so okay. Great. Everything like in the movies when they're counting. That only counts as one. Because <laughs> my brain is embedded in his nervous system or something. Like that. he's still twitching. He's twitching because <laughs> he's got my ass forty-three. His nervous system. Forty-three. Forty-four. <laughs> they're just counting oh, how many guys oh my, they kill. Oh my goodness! So <laughs> oh, in two so towers. Hilarious. In two towers too. They count how many guys they kill. Yeah. I myself am sitting on a pretty forty-three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a that was the most amazing friendship because they were always tra- they would always trash each oh, other. Oh, they trash talk yeah. the whole time. It was <laughs> so great. Oh, it was so great. Oh man. Oh, I oh, Helm's Deep. The whole Helm's Deep. <laughs> it's so crazy. Like the battles too are just yeah. so amazing. Like all of yeah. them. Epic is um, a word that gets overused all the time. Yeah, but it's actually it's epic. so yeah. You got Helm's Deep. You got uh, the Siege of Gondor. You got that Osgiliath scene with, you know, the men. You got um, Faramir riding out just to get murdered. <laughs> uh, and all those guys getting murdered, you know, and, and them sending their heads and catapults and all this type of stuff. Yeah. Um, going back to uh, on when the Nazgul come for the first time and attack Frodo. Uh, you got them defending that little... Uh, what is it? The in, in the mines of Moria, and they have to you know the Balrog. Oh yeah, and like jeez. Uh, um, them <clears throat> fighting. What, okay, so when Boromir dies, it's the is it the Orkai have been hunting him down. Yeah, okay. Saruman's yeah, yeah. Orkai. They, Sar- they, they were bred for war. Mm-hmm. That was intense. They were crossbreeds of men, goblins, and orcs, or something Ooh, like that. Yikes. So, Saruman that? got into some like genetic splicing or something. It's disturbing. It's weird. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's really weird. That's right. Yeah. Saruman's the ultra industrialist guy too. Yeah, yeah he cuts down all the forests. And, Whom do uh, you serve, Saruman? <laughs> <laughs> and they like, yeah, and you know that that kind of biological thing where they like pull them out of like this like yeah. weird like mud embryo it's thing. So weird. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's the fighting Urukai. Yeah, they they pull them out of that. It's like all that dirt and slime and everything. Oh, yeah, and yeah. and there's this huge just like hole that they're all in that they've yeah. built, which is their factory where they take the wood and they take all the steel and they're making all the weapons. And it's a, uh, yeah, it's so crazy that Saruman is, you talk about a critique of like industrialism or whatever, or like the mm-hmm. industrial might and all this type of stuff. And I think it's just so clear with, with Saruman. Um, yeah. Is it really for our, like, 
Is that progress? You know, it's yeah, that's the progress of Saruman. You know, go, coming full circle, going back to the tank stuff. <laughs> Tolkien, <laughs> yeah, he despised automated warfare. He despised most automation and stuff like that. But he was so disturbed, like by the nu- the nukes, like nuking uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He was so oh, disturbed oh, by really? that, and he says nobody wins this kind of war. The clo- the people who get closest to winning would be the Americans and the Soviets, probably the Soviets, and just the. The, I think called the robot age that we're entering in the war of the machines. I think only the machines when only technological advancements win because anything like war is so dehumanizing, but anything human that's in, that's in war and any like, you know, respect for life, it just gets so much more devalued, the more mechanical it gets. Yes. Yeah. And so humanity yeah. peaked with horses and swords in terms Amen. of warfare. Yeah. And we yeah. should have just stayed there. Yeah. Um, well, you know, there was a guy that survived both nukes, right? This yeah. Japanese man. I don't know. I don't remember what? what his name. Is. He survived both nukes. Yeah, I heard. He was that. in Hiroshima and, and, two and days Nagasaki. Later, he was in Nagasaki. Yeah, he, like, he was taking a train. He was taking a train. He was. He oh survived. My God. I, I don't know. I forget what his name is. You can look it up right now. But he um he survived both. Yeah, I'll do that. And it was nuts. And he literally went. I mean, they originally were going to bomb Kyoto, but the weather was really bad. Um, I don't know. Were they going to bomb? So, Tsutomo Yamaguchi. Tsutomo Yamaguchi. The man, the myth, the legend. Tsutomo. Can, can you put, the, put that on your resume? Man, I survived both nukes. Survived both <laughs> nukes. Was on a train after coming back from Hiroshima. Like, Went to Nagasaki. Oh, yeah. no. My man had a bad day. <laughs> yeah, had a bad week. Man. That was not a, not a good week. We're joking about it, but that's, it's absolutely horrendous. Yeah. I mean, now warfare can be done from you know, the the Air Force Base in Denver, Andrews Air Force Base, where they're literally blowing up people through a computer screen that yeah. is a, a drone <clears throat> in yeah. the Middle yeah. East. It's, it's like... Tolkien would have vomited. And uh, <laughs> I mean, we should, all should be just vomiting about it. It's just like, it's, it's so absurd. It yeah, is so yeah. absurd that, that, that that's where warfare's gone. And um, Yeah, the, the fighting Urukai. Um, yeah, and you also have those, um, the giants... So it seems like the the evil sides in uh, in you know Sauron and Saruman they're the ones that have uh, the Urukai have their their steel and mm-hmm. all those type of stuff. Uh, Sauron has his armies have um, the giants. They have the catapults. They have like they seem to have the better weaponry. Like yeah. Rohan shows up. They got horses, yeah, and then the other guys got elephants. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's I think just the. I don't know. I, just the evil, the wide variety of evils that comes about uh, from evil, I suppose. No, yeah. The the evils from, like, what is your purpose in getting all these weapons and stuff? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, getting really good at making weapons isn't a good thing. Well, it's almost really. like it's Which, like, it, like <clears throat> that flies in the face with our modern progress yeah. narratives and well, stuff. What's global yeah. dominance? Yeah, everyone thinks that that progress is somehow, I always use this example because it's just absurd. Um, what is it called? Uh, I almost said Corona pox. It's called, Ebo- it's called Ebola pox. <laughs> Corona pox. Now that we're in a, a pandemic, I've used this a number of times, but Russian scientists in, uh, let's see, this was t- 2008. So it's been a while now, uh, successfully made a, a mix between Ebola and smallpox. What? Where yeah, I know, it has right? the spreadability of <laughs> smallpox, and but the lethality of Ebola. Ebola. Just to do it? Just to do it, yeah. I mean, why not? You know, the, the question is the why not question, which is just like, well, let me tell you why not. We don't need that. Humanity <laughs> yeah. does not need that. People have this kind of like scientific positivism that they, they just think 
science will just continue with this progress and it's like always good it is always yeah. de facto good if science finds something and it's like what what is your purpose in finding ebola yeah. box? or what is your purpose in splitting the atom and all this stuff <clears throat> it's not good in and of itself it's it all of that has to be towards an end hmm. and if you don't have that end in mind if it's just science for science's sake then what the hell are you doing it's, exactly yeah you know, tolkien would have yikes yeah that's why have you heard of the solar flare what about it? The solar flare that's coming. What's that? Oh, so yeah, 2020, baby. What's that? Apparently, um, from what I remember, I don't remember where I heard this. It was some podcast. Um, but there's, um, I think once every decade, there's some sort of solar flare that goes off, like you know, emission from the sun or whatever. Mm-hmm. And once a century, it gets close enough to do some damage to the Earth, but it hasn't really done much. Because we haven't had any sophisticated technology, really. And I think the last time it was recorded happening was in the 1850s, right before the Civil War. And what happened was all of the telegram wires fried. <clears throat> like the trans the transatlantic cable fried like on the ocean floor. No Whoa. way. And so this guy <clears throat> on the podcast, he had like a telegram box. And it was just, just completely melted, melted metal. And so when that happens, once again, if it gets close enough to Earth, every technological thing we have is just gone. Just fly Whoa, completely. Dude. Jeez. End of 2020, baby. <laughs> <That'd be nice. laughs> uh, yikes. Yeah, these... Uh, people just have this just blind faith in science and progress. This like abstract notion of progress. And when you read... like I think when everyone who reads the initial like The Hobbit Town, like... You know, we can all relate in some way, like our, our our hometown. You know, it feels like home, right? And it and the question to ask is like, all the problems that happen, you know, are are like completely external to just this little locale of Hobbiton, right? And they don't really care what's going on and these big stuff. They're just little people in little town, living their life. And yet, there's massive, powerful forces outside of them that are threatening them from all different directions but um and they're trying to do really powerful things and it's like Tolkien's almost saying like it's better to just to be a little hobbit in hobbiton than be the big guy ruling everything Mm -hmm. and on i think we can all kind of relate to that in some way you know but but the the thing is like well, Frodo's forced into it. It's almost like the the fate of the world is his kind of cozy comfort life in Hobbiton can't last forever uh, yeah. because the evil's coming in. Like it gets thrown at him, right? Bilbo leaves him a ring that he has to do something about. There isn't much choice. In the, if, I guess there is choice to kind of just sit on it and not make it happen, but he gets thrust into it, right? Yeah. There's a great line in the books because there's the scene where he meets the elves in the Shire. And um, he got caught from the movie. I understand why. It's a bit of a long scene. But he talks to this elf named Gildor. And they're talking about all this. And Gildor tells him, you can shut out the outside world, but it's not going to shut you out. And eventually you're going to have to confront it. Mm. And it's you know preserving that idyllic sort of country life. But at the same time, recognizing reality for what it is and yeah. not. Like what Mary says in the movie, that aren't you part of this world? Yeah. And it's, if you're part, it, if you exist in the world, this is a Chesterton thing. Um, this is, in, I think, the first or second chapter of Orthodoxy. Um, if you exist, 
in this universe. You have some sort of loyalty to this universe and you have to fight for it to some extent. And that's just your obligation as a creature. And that really, really shows through, even if you want to. But, you know, protecting your home is important, too. That's why Gandalf says all of this stuff was training to protect your home, because that's what matters most to you. Mm. And it should matter most, you know? Mm. And not all... Yeah, and like... Yeah, and Saruman comes and destroys a lot of it, and you have to come back and save it, all this type of stuff. Um, And I think, you know, more and more, these kind of locales are just being... People are moving to cities. They're moving to more urban places. They're they're not valuing the locale. And I think a lot of the push is people feel like that area is just insignificant. You know, like I, I got to go to somewhere bigger than this. And yeah, the centers of power, the centers of power. And I, I, the more people live in Hobbitons, the further they are from just the influence <clears throat> of big evil, you know, yeah. things that, you know, the less power they have because they're just not there physically. Proximity yeah, I mean, wise. and that entire and that entire scene is exposed when Galadriel's there, showing him, showing Frodo what's going to happen if you don't complete the journey. Yeah, you know what I mean. And your entire town's going to be on fire. There's another, and I who was I talking? I had Faith Cyril about this actually on, on a podcast, like because we were talking about Steubenville and you know uh, the people who've wanted to leave kind of this old steel town have left, and there's um, and. I, I'm not saying it about current Steubenville, but I think right when people were leaving completely, the people who stayed had to kind of convince themselves that like, mm-hmm. no, it was worth staying, you know, like how many, and I can't say this word because I just always mess it up. Horror. Horror. It's, horror. Yeah. Because I'm a Southerner and that's a hard word. Horror. A lot of mo- horror. those horror movies horror. Um, are set in those like country towns that resent people moving away. And like, there's that. The, the kind of hmm. the uh, they don't appreciate where they are because they're resentful of like the powerful people in the urban centers. And there's kind of like this resentment towards the power, but like they feel like they kind of should have left. So there's kind of like some moral, like a lot of, yeah, that's a good you point. know, like the, the people who come from the city into the country, like, wow, this is so nice and idyllic. And yeah. then they get like chopped up in pieces, you know, <laughs> it's because they, there's that resentment there. Like um, that's kind of the, if Hobbiton was, um, you know, like a modern day, thing but yeah it that that isn't as much present there the gaffer and them are kind of content with where they are they talk about other stuff but mm. they're all um, yeah like they're so uh keep your nose out of trouble and no trouble will come to you it's like that's the they just they're content with their lives and they love the peace and the quiet and they just have that deep appreciation for it. even if they don't like what happens after the scouring of the shire is that appreciation is renewed even more it's like they before it was this sort of innocent, just happiness living there, but then it gets all taken away from them and then they get it back. And so they're even more just in love with the Shire because they've seen the other side, like, you know, what it costs to have this and what the outside world is kind of dealing with. Mm-hmm. And- There's that great scene when they're in the, uh, what is it? The, the bar back at, at the home, the green and, dragon. Yeah. The green, the green. Yeah. How could I forget that? And, uh, they're all just sitting there and they they can't they're not even talking to each other they're just kind of like well we're back <laughs> yeah and like they're <laughs> the main thing is a guy comes in with a huge pumpkin <laughs> yeah <laughs> the guy with the pumpkin is like hey yeah. you got a pumpkin you know they they could care less that frodo and them all came back i i kind of like that i think that movie ending is is pretty satisfying as well i i think you know 
uh, the, the kind of epilogue that Tolkien had in that yeah. is kind of like one of those last little daggers in the heart. You know what I yeah. mean? And I feel like the movie kind of rounded it out a little bit more. I, you know, you could just do whatever, but they just say two it's different It's kind of a things. different, right. Yeah. And I always reference that, like, doesn't matter if you go on any huge adventure and do really amazing stuff and whatever else, you come back to your hometown and you're just you again. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> like, you're nothing that special. You're just back. You're just, you know, because the people know you, they know where yeah. you're from. Uh, they know you, what you've done. I mean, in, even in the Gospels, right, uh, where where Christ is doing all this stuff, and he's like, "Don't we know this guy? He's from Nazareth. Like his dad Joseph was here. Like we know this guy. Like," and then he tells him, "Well, you don't really know where I'm actually from. You know what I mean?" Um, yeah. There's they get back and they're just like, "Well, no one really cares that we went off and saved the yeah. world. <laughs> we were just with Aragorn, and they were like recognizing us. You know, you bow to no one, and now you're sitting at a bar. No yeah. one cares." <laughs> mm. And that was definitely um. My dad loves that scene. We're all in the bar and they just kind of like, you know, they raise their glasses and they just drink together. And they're the only ones who can understand the experience that they've just had. And my dad, he loves, uh, he was in the Marines, uh, the reserves, like during, I think it was a desert storm. I forget. But yeah, just that's the, the soldiering experience when you come back. No one else gets it. And that's okay. But you just have to share that experience and you can do that without words. You just can be there with each other because you know you've had that intense bond that's built up and for some people like for mary pippin and sam that's fine they go on to live their lives really well but for frodo he ends up just receding more into the background and nobody fully comprehends what he's been through his personal experience well nobody well it's nobody carried the ring as long as he did yeah well when he got back to the shire it's like people are just oh hey frodo yeah you know they nobody had hey guys i just saved your asses (laughs) yeah you know what i mean but nobody has any idea of what the heck yeah. just happened. Nobody knows that he went to Mount Doom. Nobody yeah. even knows who Mount Doom what Mount Doom is. Yeah. And, and the don't care much either. Yeah, they don't care. And it's kind of like that's kind of how it's supposed to be, too. Yeah. You know, but it's it still doesn't make it easy for Frodo, but it's like yeah, no, he's supposed to just kind of go back to what he's supposed Normal to do, life. but how can but you go back to that life? Yeah, yeah, how can you go back to that life? Yeah. For Frodo so it's bad has happened as Sam put it. His, uh, I mean, how do you just go back and just be normal? I feel yeah, like if it cheery. was me, if it were like if it was me, I'd happily just go back to that life and just be like, I'm easy transition because it's everything that I've ever known. So I want to go back to everything that yeah. I've ever known. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But for Frodo, just the psychological, and that's why <clears throat> he did me. also kind of feel special having the ring. You know, like yeah, like it gave him a kind of purpose as well. Like the ring chose me. Like there's a number of occasions where he's, you know, it's my ring. The ring chose yeah. me. Like, yeah. even though it's my burden, even though he's, yeah, it's my burden to bear. Right. It's, he kind of takes pride in the fact that he was the one hmm. to whom oh, the I ring was like, like he found a lot of meaning in that. And when it was taken away, he went back to just being the Frodo from the Shire. Yeah, but like, while, while he had the ring, he was the most important person in the world. Like everything was contingent on his life, his victory. And so, yeah, without that, like, you've had the most, I think in all of Middle-earth history, there's no other character with that singular level of burden. And, yeah, where do you go after that? Like, what the heck do you do? There's nothing, none of the, the Shire is beautiful, but it's kind of, I don't want to say lower comforts, because I don't want to, like, degrade it, but, like, the lower comforts, the happy wholesomeness of the Shire that isn't enough to heal those wounds. And so you need a lot more of that higher healing that I guess he gets in Valinor. Yeah. Wow. 
He, yeah. Okay, I had another question. Frodo in the books versus Frodo, how, you know, he was portrayed by Elijah Wood. Um, Elijah Wood, right? Yeah. That was a guy. Um, the difference between the Mr. Frodo and kind of the really youthful Elijah Wood Frodo. Did you? Yeah. I, that gets mentioned a few times. I loved Elijah Wood's portrayal of him. Oh, me too. But, but in the books, it seems like Frodo's kind of a more established kind of middle-aged yeah, guy. Yeah, Frodo is the oldest of the hobbits that go off. Frodo's, Elijah Wood was 18 and Frodo was 50. When he sits off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's exactly Bilbo's age when he went off in The Hobbit. Sam Bilbo in um in The Hobbit movies also is fairly young. Yeah. yeah. He seems more like late. He's 30s a little bit. 40s. Yeah. But yeah. So Frodo is a lot more wise and established and scholarly and kind of a cent- he's, he's kind of eccentric, but not as bad as Bilbo was. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in the movies, Frodo's like almost like a kid. And Mary definitely seems like the oldest. Mary, Mary and Pippin were both in there. Mary was, Pippin was 29. So he hadn't even come of age yet as a hobbit. Cause like you come of age at 33 hmm. when you're a hobbit. So actually, I'm, I don't know why they cut this. Maybe just, I don't know. But the birthday party was actually Frodo and Bilbo's joint birthday. Oh, because, right. Yeah. Yeah. Frodo's turning 33, Bilbo's turning 111 or mm-hmm. yeah. And. <laughs> So, yeah, they share a birthday. And so the book begins when Frodo comes of age, but then you skip several years ahead and he's 50 now. So he's more established. He's more Mr. Frodo. And when he goes off in this adventure, he's kind of settled in life already. And he he wants to go off after Bilbo. That's his main thing. Mm. And so his motivation for the quest changes quite a, quite a bit. Like they get to Rivendell. It's like, okay, Bilbo's here. I dropped off the ring. I can, I can go now. But then he just feels this compulsion. Like there's no one else who can do this. And I think part of it is his age and his maturity that enables him to be the one to take the ring mm. and keep going. Yeah, it's a different different than the very youthful kind of kid, Elijah Wood, who mm-hmm. I still think he portrays I, I think he portrays Frodo fantastic. I mean, honestly, I cannot imagine the characters when I'm reading the books, except for mm-hmm. the faces that are you yeah, know, absolutely. Elijah Wood, the Gandalf. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, oh my goodness. Out of any character, uh Gandalf, like it's perfect. Utterly, perfect, entirely yeah. perfect. Yeah. And I, his name's escaping me, the actor. Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen. Oh, my goodness. And I, I'm really glad they put Christopher Lee as Saruman. Yes. Rather than as Gandalf. I, yeah. I can't imagine him as Gandalf. Yeah. Even yeah. though Tolkien he's, was like, you could be Gandalf. He's but. too aristocratic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ian McKellen portrays him as very personable. Mm-hmm. And like, you just love him. The whole time you're just like yeah. he's awesome. He's Whenever like, Gandalf's yeah. in a scene, you're just like <clears throat> yeah. at peace, and yeah. you're just like yes, yeah. Uh, but then he gets he that, that majesty and that uh, regal side of Gandalf so well as well. And it oh, just, totally, it yeah. just switches on and off when it needs to be there. The yeah. jokes, the very the kind of point of humor in some ways. The, yeah, uh, the grumpiness too. Yeah, some of the grumpiness. Yeah. You're in the service of the steward now. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna have to do as you're told. <laughs> in fact, just don't say anything. <laughs> 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 it's outside. It's I love the Pippin Gandalf dynamic. It's so good. Yeah. Oh, the what? what? Pippin Gandalf. Oh, yeah, oh it's oh, really goodness. good. They're perfect. Fool of a took. Fool of a took. I love in the in the Hobbit where he goes, "Save me from the stubbornness of dwarves. Your pride will be your downfall." Yeah. <laughs> Man, he, you stand the in the very presence of one of the long. few people in Middle Earth who can read them. Show it to Lord Elm. <laughs> That's when they're there. The Gandalf yeah. sassiness is great. Grand- Gandalf's just like you. 
he hates unnecessary BS. Like, just yeah. do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. He cuts through all of that. Yeah. Oh, he shreds that That's stuff. That's his mandate from God. <laughs> and, uh, just get rid of all that. <laughs> and like when they're talking after he, uh, what was it? Pip? No, it was Mary. When he, Mary or Pippin? Who touched the Palantir? Mary. Or yeah. Pippin. Pippin. Pippin, Pippin. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, he's a fool. But an honest fool. It's so great. It's so fun. Uh, he's yeah. Ian McKellen portrays him perfectly. I That's I think job. also um, yeah. Aragorn as well. I think in the books Aragorn's a bit older as well. Right. He's eighty seven. He's he's how old? Yeah. There's yeah. There's that once um, scene where Eowyn, Eowyn uh, she asks him. Or she she's wondering how old he is. Yeah. And you must be the soup. S- yeah, the soup. <laughs> wait, somewhere. wait. I missed this. What is it? The you soup. remember that scene where they're out and uh, Rohan's trying to like. Uh, I think they're moving to Helm's Deep. Yeah, they're moving to Helm's Deep. And uh <laughs> and Eowyn starts um talking to him and she's like, You must be like 40 or something. He's like 60. Yes. 60. You cannot be. And then eventually gets to like 80, 87. Yeah. <laughs> and then he oh, gives he's 87. Holy yeah. crap. Yeah. <laughs> and then she gives him this soup that he hates. Like it's so oh, disgusting. Yeah. Like, and, a horse and, and, and yeah, and, and she leaves. She leaves, and he's, he's about to go like this. She looks back, and he goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he takes it back in his hand, and he, I'm like, it's good, it's good. Oh, that's right. And then right. she kind of stands over him, like, oh my gosh, you're gonna eat my soup. And he's like, <laughs> he goes. He takes the first bite. He goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then later on, she offers him uh, the first drink after uh, Helm's Deep, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and then <laughs> we feel bad for Eowyn. Uh, and then uh, Theoden comes by and is like, he's a great man. You know, all this yeah. type of stuff. You're going to be so happy when you're, you're married. You're so happy. And she's, like, and she's like, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, he really liked my soup. <laughs> oh, my. Jeez. Uh, the, char- oh, the, the character development is the most, brilliant, the most brilliant yeah. I've ever seen in any movie series. Absolutely. Unparalleled. Unbelievable. And, and the, the yeah. amount of time and work it takes to just develop each character, not mm-hmm. only in the books, but like in the movies too. Like there's so much that goes into it. There's so many of them too. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like oh. for a, a book series, it's easier to balance characters like that, but mm-hmm. for the movies to handle it so well, yeah. it's incredible. Incredible. Oh yeah. And it didn't, it didn't feel, none of them felt rushed. Like I feel like all of them got to get developed and stuff. Throughout the movies, and I'm even talking the theatrical release. I I I think the cuts that I mainly watch theatrical. I've watched extended on occasion, but sometimes I'm like when I go back and watch the extended because I've watched the theatrical so many times that when I watch the extended, I'm like, oh, okay, I can see why they cut out the scene. Yeah, just for the pacing. Like if I was watching this in a movie theater, I think I would. Like I only have so much attention span. I love Lord of the Rings, but like a four hour really long movie. Sometimes they can't justify right. it's that. It's definitely not made for theaters. It's made for yeah, watching it at home. Mm-hmm. You stop, you know, you go do something else, you come back, you pick up where it is. The theatrical though is like an experience of that one movie, and then yeah. you can move on. <clears throat> yeah, The Hobbit felt w- way more prolonged. Like it just felt like the movies yeah. were long, and especially ending on that cliffhanger <laughs> at the end of two. Like I felt that was a very I don't know. Yeah, that I'm wouldn't be sure. a Tolkien that thing. Was that, the that was one, kind yeah. of like... Yeah, that was the one where... Well, they, like the dragon's the coming dragon, and then yeah. it ends and, and you have to wait yeah. more years until well, it Tolkien comes out. wasn't too... Like the way that Two Towers ends, the book is Frodo's taken up into the, the Tower of Kirith Ungol by the orcs and the door closes with a clang and Sam is at the door like, 
oh, frick, what do I do now? And they no. all, like, kill each other. <laughs> yeah. that's it. I love the orcs in the books. The orc banter is the best thing ever. It is like, you know what, boys? After the war is done, we defeat all the men. You and me, we're going to take a bunch of guys down. We're going to go. We're going to drink. We're going to have fun. We're going to raid. It's going to be amazing. And they're just they're just such bros. <laughs> <laughs> so, the bro orcs. Yeah. Guarding uh, the tower. We're just going to go get a drink and just raid everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good time. And then they find his... Uh, what what is armor? Right, you find his armor, armor. Yeah. shiny shirt. And that, that's mine. <laughs> that's, give me that shiny shirt. <laughs> <laughs> in that entire in that entire scene, Sam goes up there, and how does it develop again? The orcs all kill each other. Yeah, right. Because mm. I don't know, something over the, happens over the shirt. Over the shirt, yeah, they'll kill each. Other. They all start getting in a fight, and then they eventually kill each other. Sam gets there, he's like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> and there's like three orcs left, and he's just like. <clears throat> You know, he's pretending to be an elf, I guess. Or they think he's an elf. Yeah. I think it's the cloak and he has sting. So, Yeah, I love when they dress up as orcs. Too, and they start, yeah. like, walking through places. And that, that whole scene, oh my gosh, is so much tension where Frodo starts to faint and stuff. He's like, stay awake, Mr. Frodo. And it's just like, oh, inspection. That orc, like the, <clears throat> that the scared growl or something like yeah, that. Yeah, white. Yeah, look, yeah that one's freaking weird, dude. Mm. And the Eye of Sauron looking around the whole time. Yeah. Does Tolkien talk about like the reason it's just an eye? So I don't actually know if there is an eye in the books. And oh. some people who will say that there's, there's a tower though, right? There's definitely a tower. Okay. Um, the eye is Sauron's symbol. Like it's all all their the orc shield. It's like his, you know, that I'm all seeing, all powerful, all knowing. Yeah. That kind of thing. But and the eye, like the piercing eye of Sauron, is definitely used as a device. Like Frodo will have visions, and there's the eye. But I don't really know. I can't tell. I really don't. I think book a lot of book fans say there just isn't one. But I'm not quite sure because I feel like you could interpret a lot of the stuff to say that there is. But there's definitely not a giant flaming eye <laughs> described exactly like that yeah. in the books. Because at one point Gollum says, or it's implied that Gollum said that there are four fingers on the black hand. Which means that there he has some sort of uh, physical humanoid form that's in the tower. Interesting. Yes, yeah, so I don't. That's weird. Don't that's yeah. That's so weird. Because in the movie, it's a big flaming eye. Big flaming a, eye. Yeah. That like shoots out like a vision. Rays. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And like you can tell right where its vision is. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I read. I watched the movies first, so I kind of envisioned it as a big oh, eye tower. So yeah. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of, it's interesting to think, yeah. What if they had portrayed it as like, not some eye thing that they see? Well, that's interesting because they disguise themselves in the book to avoid detection by Sauron. Right. Right. But is it explicit it's his eye looking around or is it through the orcs? I think at least symbolically it's set, like the orcs on a practical level, but I think on a or at immediate level, the orcs, they don't want to get discovered and found out as hobbits. The Nazgul are still... No, the Nazgul aren't around at that point. Yeah, the Nazgul, right. Um, they're headed to fight uh, Gondor, right? Yeah. They're all... Uh, and as Aragorn's <coughs> army is moving towards the Black Gate, the Nazgul are out there you know, harassing them and kind of spying on them and just terrifying them. But yeah, I think Sauron, he can... You know, he's more powerful, obviously. And so his senses of perception are far greater. And so I guess he's kind of searching. I, maybe he can feel the presence of the ring getting closer and closer, but he doesn't know where it is. Interesting, yeah. And But yeah, he's still incarnate. 
<clears throat> in a physical form, whatever that form may be, and that limits his powers right. to some extent. So that's why when Aragorn's army comes up, he has to focus his attention on that because his focus, he's not, he can't be omnipresent. He is incarnate in some way. Yeah. Yeah. He's not just, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. It's so weird how like Sauron has to become incarnate in different forms and like Gandalf's just, you know, has his form or whatever. Yeah. Actually, Sauron lost the ability to change forms at one point um, because what happened? Oh, so Numenor, all that stuff happens. He convinces the king of Numenor to go off, who's he's turned into a Satanist, basically, and tells him, go attack Valinor and take the secret of immortality from them because they're withholding it from you. They're forcing you to die. You don't even know. Nobody knows where men go after they die. And so it's just he's put the fear of death into them. So he builds up this giant fleet, goes to Valinor. And of course, uh, Iluvatar himself comes and sweeps them all away, sinks Numenor. And this is kind of Tolkien's uh, take on Atlantis actually. And so the whole city sinks and in the giant tsunami tidal wave destruction of Numenor, Sauron's physical form is destroyed. So he's killed. And after that, he's unable to take any other form except for that dark Lord, uh, Spirit armor. kind of yeah. 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 And so then when he's yeah. destroyed by Isildur later on, then I'm pretty sure that's when he takes an even lesser form, which either is the eye or is some sort of being in the tower. It has to be, yeah. Because he he was um defeated multiple times. Mm-hmm. And so um yeah, it makes sense that he would have to take this lesser form. And I mean in the movies they have the eye, which is Sauron, but it, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to contrast, to compare and contrast the book and the movie. For sure. Uh, Cause there's a lot, there's some differences and um, a lot of major yeah. differences that yeah. are, and I think half the time in the movies, I understand the change if, even if I disagree with it, but like the Arwen stuff, I like all that stuff a bit more than the books. Cause that's true to the spirit of what Tolkien wanted. The Faramir stuff is kind of inexcusable <laughs> because mm-hmm. it it does den- – in Return of the King, the movies, Faramir's fine. Again, he follows the exact same book progression. But in Two Towers, it does make him less noble than he is because what Faramir is trying to be is he's <clears> someone <throat> who wasn't born in an age – he's kind of like all of us. He's not born in an age of nobility. His culture isn't conducive to nobility necessarily, but he wants that so badly. So he's striving for it, hmm. and he actually achieves it. Right. And even following his his you know father who tells him to do this for Gondor, which yeah. is basically a suicide mission. He's like, "Where does my allegiance lie if not here?" Which is just you know, like Gandalf even counsels him, "Don't do it." Yeah, yeah. And he's like, well, it's a waste. Something. Then. It's a waste. I mean, you're gonna go there. You're first of all outnumbered. You're going with you're horses, wrecked. and they're just like they have bow and arrows. It's a right cakewalk, and like it's just you're gonna die. Oh my gosh! And when uh. Mary singing the song. Mary Pippin. Pippin. I was gonna mix up when Pippin's singing the song and uh, he's like pulling the turkey leg off and all this stuff. <clears throat> the tomato. And, like, and, like, the the tomato. Uh, oh yeah. my gosh! Uh, the yeah. tomato. <laughs> and he's just tomato. like going everywhere. Yeah, that was. Uh, that was, that was uh, oh man, that puts the chills through me. Like uh, the music in Lord of the Rings too. Okay, right. The ah. music, brilliant. No, no better music ever. You should get it. If you want to talk about that, get a music person because I can just appreciate it. I don't know anything about how to describe what the music does, but it just it just 
the best way to put it that I can put it, it just it arises so naturally from the world. Mm-hmm. It's like if you're in the Shire, that's exactly the music that's going to play. Or if you're in Rohan, yeah. just those, those <clears throat> violins, that's exactly. It is true. Yeah, no. And it's it's like suited to fit that area and that time in Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. And when they first come to Minas Tirith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, all of yes. the Gondor music. Dun, 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 People are listening. Um, it's fantastic, and they nail it. Get the soundtracks. So like Get even just soundtracks. even when they're in the mines of Moria, like the the drums, you know the boom, boom, you know like boom, boom. it's boom, just boom. like drums. and it gets louder drums and louder and louder and um ooh the fall from when beginning of two towers when Gandalf's falling too the music in that yeah yikes wow oh yeah just the master masterpiece it's like masterpiece after masterpiece it's just... everything in those movies was a masterpiece like it's yeah. insane like when you read the books you feel Tolkien like his character and his kind of spirit throughout it when you when you have the movies you have like Tolkien's world but all these people who came together to make it real it doesn't you don't get like and this is what I when I saw the movies, they're amazing. And there's so many people who made it really amazing. And they all brought their expertise and their knowledge and everything into it. When you read the book, you're getting Tolkien, like him. Yeah. There's not a mediation between that. You're getting him, his world, his words, his writing of it. But the movies are a masterpiece in their own right. You know, they took Tolkien's world and they're very, I think, you know, more than a lot of book adaptations, very faithful to it, except for some very few, few times when they're not. And on their own with all the people who came together to make it. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's such a labor of love and it just, it shows. And just hours and hours. It's like 12 total hours and extended, right? Or something like that. Maybe nine. Oh, nine. Okay. Well, still, it's just like nine hours of film. Yeah. You think yeah. about how many, like, and that's yeah. something I want, like, Peter Jackson deserves credit for. Um, I don't believe he's Catholic or Christian at all. He showed up in the movie. He oh, showed yeah. up in uh, when, um, when they're about to siege Gondor. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? Gimli, mind your aim. <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy. The guy that Legolas the guy, shoots. The guy that Legolas shoots. Do you remember that scene where, uh, so they just get out of the mountain. Uh-huh. And all the ships arrive, and they're about to take Gondor. Legolas and Gimli and Aragorn are out there. Aragorn like falls to his knees, just like in pure sadness that his city's being overrun. And the ships come up, and uh, Aragorn says, "You will go no further." And then the guy says, uh, "You and you and you and army, this army." And then, but before that, um, fire yeah, fire, like, fire a warning shot. <laughs> and and Legolas goes and Gimli like taps his elbow with his axe and Legolas shoots and because Aragorn said send a warning shot past his ear, mm. <laughs> Gimli hits his bow Legolas's bow and it hits the guy straight in the heart. Yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah and that was Peter Jackson. And that was, that was Peter, Peter Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> 
and then so in, in, Brie, in Brie, he's this like uh, drunken man with a carrot. And like they, they get the camera like they, they, you know, shot through Brie. And he's like, crunch. And yeah. then he shows up in The Hobbit again, too. We, that's he hilarious. does think. Oh, so wait, he shows up in the Lord of the Rings twice. Yeah, I think he has one in in, in uh, Two Towers. He's a, sh- a soldier in Rohan. Like when <laughs> in Helm's Deep, they're throwing rocks down on the orcs. He's one of those guys, and he's like, he has this giant rock. He's like, ah, he looks like the r- ridiculous <laughs> face. <ever. laughs> what oh a baller, gosh, man! Yeah. That's hilarious. Peter Jackson, dude. I want to. I I spent all this time working on this damn thing. I want to be in it I for a minute. Be, oh, yeah. <laughs> Make my own cameo. They're not going to just know me as the director. They're going to know me as Carrot Guy. Yeah. And I think for Battle of Five Armies, they made posters. and One of them was him. It's pretty good. Oh, really? I can pull it up. Just imagine if he was the uh, the mayor guy who's like the really fat guy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. The, yeah. I, I, I preferred Lord of the Rings over. I mean, they're, they're the masterpiece. The Hobbit but. was good. And there were some good parts about it. But Lord of the Rings takes total oh, dude, dominance takes, over. Takes the cake. Yeah. Takes the cake. I can watch yeah. it. I think part of the reason over. is that the Hobbit is so referential to Lord of the Rings. You can enjoy Lord right. of the Rings yeah. without having the hobbit but yeah without lord of the rings the hobbit so let's let's talk about like really quick the development like what is the mindset in your opinion of having a story before another one but the movie to that story comes out after the second one you know what i mean so like you have the hobbit and lord of the rings oh wow absolutely (laughs) picture absolute absolute unit what a unit Um, you have The Hobbit, which the movies come after The Lord of the Rings, like mm-hmm. the actual m- m- filming of the movie. Like right. the, They make the movie after Lord of the Rings, but the story comes before Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. So w- what is the mindset behind that? Why do filmmakers do that? Well, I think in this case, it's just because there's more story to tell with Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And I, Peter Jackson did not intend on making The Hobbit hmm. at all. And so when that finally happened, it took him like, several years to be convinced to do it. And then he actually got uh, Guillermo del Toro really to do it. And, but eventually both Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit had intense uh, production issues. Like the, the studios were being really, really difficult and just intransigent on so many issues. So at one point Guillermo del Toro just had to like drop out of the production and Peter Jackson very, very reluctantly became the director. Mm. And so what happened and then I think the studio also was the one who pushed it to be three movies instead of two. He just wanted to do two movies. But then, and actually, you know, the actress of Toriel, the elf lady who falls in love with the dwarf, um, it was in her contract that there would be no love triangles, apparently. <laughs> and then later on, the doing reshoots, he comes back like, hey, we have to modify the contract because they want a love story. <clears throat> oh. Yeah, and so a lot of that was. Wait, studio. was that the one with the elf? And uh, wait, what's what's the elf's name? Toriel. Oh, Toriel in the uh, freaking Keely. Uh, Keely and Toriel. Yeah, that just metaphysically that doesn't little, happen. It doesn't work. No. No, I was no. like, this it's, this is not. It was weird. It's so cringy. Like, it gets worse it really every cringe. single time. It, it was really. Yeah, cringe. it was. Wait, what was the triangle though? Legolas. Oh, because he's in love with Toriel. But oh, that doesn't work out, right? <laughs> no. It, I think he. What? Why? 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 Why did they want to do that? So I cringe. think they got the studios were like, well, there are no women in this story, so you need a female character, you need a love story, you need a lot of action, you need to connect to the Lord of the Rings, and he was he wanted a modest two movies of Lord. It of would the have Rings. been better as two. It I think so. Yeah. I think if you just cut out a lot of the extra added bits and you, that whole sequence 
with like chasing Smaug around Erebor at the end of mm-hmm. Desolation of Smaug. Like yeah. cut all that out. Just add the beginning of Battle of Five Armies where Bard is fighting Smaug and he's destroying Late Town. Just put all of that at the end of two or at the end of one, I guess. Even three movies, it can work if you just cut yeah. things down. It's just way too long. It's just so long. Yeah. It's yeah. just each yeah. one is what three hours, right? Yeah. We it's have these like two hours. They did extended editions too. Oh no. We have those. Was that like three all. and a half hours long? Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. Like, That's just... who, who's the uh, unibrow guy? Uh... Alfred. Alfred. Yeah. Who's that? Like the cr- one oh, of the oh, cringiest oh, the... parts of Hobbit for me is when the king guy um, of the town. yeah who gets out yeah. when when what's his face who kills the dragon bard bard like you know like where they're all like rescued and they're like and then Alfred's like around and he's like bard did all this stuff and like all the crowds like all this I just was like this is not in the book. I don't think that's in the book, is it? No. It doesn't really seem No, it's not in the book. The master survives. The master doesn't die. Yeah, the, the master doesn't die. Also, he, he's barely relevant. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. he's not like some like mayor overlord with a bunch of gold who's trying to like get out yeah. and all this type of stuff. All these and, the weird subplots. Yeah, it just yeah. does not feel Tolkien. It no. doesn't feel thought out. Like you you know in Lord of the Rings, like all these guys are so thought out and so mm-hmm. purposeful. But like fat king guy who gets like hit by the <laughs> dragon yeah it doesn't you like, know and also um alfred's is alfred even in the book so the master has advisors that's where they pulled they the just character out of. pulled the character out of the out of a hat basically yeah and had alfred and so i think it's so freaking like, annoying all right he gives a good performance for what he's given like, i mean but Okay, yeah. His point. Shout out to you, the actor of Alfred out there. Yeah. You gave a good performance. <laughs> yeah. You definitely are annoying. Your character sucked. Your character <laughs> sucked. And also, it's just, yeah. That's just another one of those, like, um, it could have just, it could have been, like, one movie, you know, yeah. Hobbit. I mean, it's a short story. And yeah, they should have done one movie. Yeah, I think you easily could have. You could have easily As, done it. If you just movie. don't connect it. And I understand yeah. why they wanted to connect it to Lord of the Rings because. Had they done a Hobbit first and then Lord of the Rings, then nobody would care if it connects with Lord of the Rings. So I understand doing two movies because you have to Gandalf can't just disappear. Yeah, fair. like it's fair. It's fine to show Gandalf doing Gandalf things and figuring out Sauron and all that. Um, but all the other side plots, like also Azog the Defiler, he's dead mm. in the books. <laughs> he's just oh gone. Gosh, really? And then they just they bring in his son too. So just make it his son from the very beginning. And if you wanted to do this revenge plot with Thorin and Azog, which is kind of meaningless. Doesn't Thorin die no. in the third yeah, one? Yeah, Thorin dies. That's in the book. Damn, he gets stabbed when, when the Does bad guy's the underneath ice? the ice. Oh, that yeah. was a cool battle. That was fun. Yeah. <clears throat> Thorin was the my favorite see, character. See, like, when, when the five armies are battling, though, it just feels, like, long and drawn out and not really meaningful. Yeah. Until you get the Thorin whatever the other guy's name, fight battle. And then you're like, oh, this is cool. I was like, you could kind of just do this and cut out all the unnecessary I mean, five army stuff. In the book, like Bilbo gets knocked out and you miss the entire battle. And so- you, Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, you Seriously? don't even see it. Well, <clears throat> yeah. And so they just, because they they just had to take up so much time. And in the extended edition, guess what it is? More battle. It's the most <laughs> ridiculous thing ever. They do this whole chariot race across the ice and- they have these like semi-auto arrow mm-hmm. fire mounted things. It's some of ridiculous. the highlights of those movies though. Uh the the actor who played Bilbo. Oh yeah. Really liked him. I mean 
I don't know what you thought about his character or how he portrayed. I loved it so much. Oh, I did. I I think if he wasn't the Bilbo and he didn't have his performance of Bilbo, Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. It's really like, you know, (laughs) he plays it so well. He's really smart. uh, Done with everything. He's what? Done with everything. Oh, yeah. He's done with everything. He doesn't doesn't care. He's like, (laughs) um, oh, no, please. Please, you're you know yeah. you're messing up the China. Excuse me. <laughs> his his sass at points is so good too. Oh, it's so that great. whole he plays scene. Bilbo that whole scene. Perfectly. That whole scene inside his house when they're dining and oh, everything. one of the greatest. <laughs> they're yeah. throwing sausages across the table. That's the thing. Like you could have kept all those awesome scenes, made a two movie yeah. film of it, cut out the bullcrap. Because there there are some really cool scenes when oh yeah yeah that one in the beginning is. So fun! I could watch that over and over and over again. That, that beginning where they're all having that dinner and they're throwing yeah. rolls around and, yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. I can yeah, watch that all the time. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think also the scene where Bard um, kills the dragon. I think if you, that just one scene. Now if you, the stuff with the the fat mayor or whatever. Okay, <laughs> yeah. but I thought that was really cool. Um, the scenes where uh, Bilbo and the dragon are talking, kind of feeling each other out, and the dragon's trying to eat yeah, them. Those are incredible. Stuff. That's really incredible. Super Tolkien. Yeah, Thorin kind of having his downfall because of the the gold and like getting it. Is yeah, really that cool. that was good too. Um, the spiders in the woods, awesome. Yeah. Every moment that uh, Riddles in the Dark, every moment that the they dark, just yeah. took from the book and just left it as is, perfect. perfect. They could have just done that. Yeah, but it would have been like, fantastic. You know, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes is uh, the barrel thing. Oh yeah, when and they're going in the through movie, the river, it's just they had this giant fight scene over the whole thing. Like with the elves yeah. and the orcs chasing them, and it's bonkers, and it's kind of fun. Like uh, Bomber, Bomber, really yeah. <laughs> like gets out of the barrel, and he's just like Bomber. spinning around yeah. with two axes in his hands, yeah. and yep. it's hilarious. But it's so unnecessary, and mm. all the elf stuff. I most people hate Legolas's involvement in the movies, in the Hobbit movies. In the yeah, because Legolas was he looked different too. He even looked he's different. way older. <laughs> yeah, he's way older. He looks way different. Because I think or that was Orlando Bloom's first role. He was right out of acting school. It's like it's Lord of the Rings. And so now it's like, what, 10 years later. And so he's a yeah. lot older, a lot more mature looking. And Legolas is supposed to be 60 years younger. Hmm. And I like Legolas being in there because it doesn't make sense Bloom. not to have him. Yeah. Because <clears throat> if it's his was dad. Was he, he in the book? No. <clears throat> he's because 40. He wasn't. Oh. He's 40. They're trying to connect the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> is the, wait, the prison scenes, was that in the book? Were they, they're in that. Was it an elven prison? Yeah. So yeah. that was in the book. He's just called the Elven King okay, of Mirkwood. Oh yeah, Mirkwood. Right. Yeah. Dude. Later on, that's expanded. Orlando Bloom is forty-three. Vigo Mortensen is sixty-two. Wow. Damn. Think about this. Vigo Aragorn was twenty years older than Legolas in the movies. Twenty years older in that's Lord of the right. Rings. Looks great. He looked amazing. <clears throat> so how long ago was and he broke his foot or whatever in the movies that was really funny how long what happened uh you know the scene where like they're uh uh rohan has killed a bunch of the orakai and hunted them down and then aragorn thinks that the hobbits were killed in along there, with, yeah. yeah yeah and then he, uh uh aragorn kicks the the helmet in anger and then yells like ah like all this yeah, stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. well apparently he kicked it but broke his foot when he kicked it. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Oh, that shoot. W- and his actual yell was like pain. Yeah. <laughs> I think he chipped That is real acting too. right there, you know? What's that? I think he chipped a tooth too at some point. Like, oh, my. Doing some sword stunts. So he, he got battered by this production. But he did a great job. He also he came in last minute. 
No way. Really? They, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. They hired some guy and like the day before filming, they're like, crap, he's way too young for Aragorn. So sorry, huh. buddy, you're fired. And so oh, they just geez. let him go. And they were scrambling. And so somebody suggested Viggo Mortensen. And so he gets the call. And his son, who I think was reading Lord of the Rings at the time or something like that, was like, Dad, you have to do this. He's like, okay, fine, sure. And then he does it. <laughs> and he becomes a little massive. Yeah. Well, he was, he was a star already, but he massive star. Oh, unbelievably mm-hmm. massive after that. I mean, if you, after you get Lord of the Rings, you know, yeah. doesn't, doesn't the third one have like the most Oscars won or awards or something The entire like franchise has the most <clears throat> awards the, of anything. Like 800 possible awards. That's and 475 of them. Yeah, it, it really is... Yeah, well it's just a masterpiece. Movies, books, the whole thing. I, I, it's been very interesting. You brought in Silmarillion and stuff on the extended. I, I've been very impressed with your <laughs> mm. extensive knowledge. Like the whole lore, you have most of it down. It's crazy. Oh, there are people who know, because like, I haven't read the history of Middle Earth things. So there's there some the, the Christopher Tolkien stuff. So a lot of most of it's actually more about Middle Earth has been published under Christopher Tolkien than. J.R.R. Was that, it? was that his son or something? That's his son. Um, he appointed his... He had four kids. <clears throat> Michael, Christopher, Nicholas, and Priscilla. And Michael Tolkien became a priest, actually. Oh, wow. Um, and then Christopher, he appointed to be his literary executor. And so... Imagine being Father Tolkien. Yeah. <laughs> Is he still alive? I think he's... I think only uh, Priscilla's alive. Okay. She's really old. J.R.R. Tolkien died in 1973. <laughs> yeah. So he died 57 years ago. Well, I know. 2020, it's just like, wow, we're already here. He was born in South Africa. Yeah. And he died in the United Kingdom. He had a kind of a crappy early life. Um, His mother converted to Catholicism from probably the Church of England. And she was really ostracized by the community. And so she was like fighting for her sons to stay in the faith when they're young. And then she dies. And so he's actually raised by a priest. Wow. And so, to, yeah. become, to become one of the most prominent writers in the world's history. Yeah. It writes something like The Lord of the everything. Rings. Gosh. How do you take, as a director and, and all the actors and all the production crew, how do you take that story and put it into a movie? I mean, you have the story that's, <laughs> that's, written, the, that's written 30 years before it's actually put into any sort of film. 30 years before they take it, they analyze it and they put it into a movie. Like there's gotta be so much development. There's gotta, they gotta have people all over the world come in and analyze every single part of the story and then, and then develop it into a movie. Like there's gotta be so much analysis from experts everywhere about that to actually come comprehend and like try to figure out what he meant by all of it. Yeah. And then put that in a movie. Like yeah, you can't just oh. read it and like, okay, we're going to make a movie now. It's like, what did he mean? What did by he this mean? What's yeah. the significance? And that's why with Lord of the Rings, even with the changes, even the ones that I think shouldn't have been made, it still stays in the spirit of Tolkien. Mm. Even like with Faramir, that's the big uh, controversial one. Even though that does change a character fundamentally, it still brings about a redemptive character arc that Tolkien would have written. He mm. just didn't do it with Faramir. But right. He could have done it. Mm-hmm. And so it stays in that spirit of Tolkien. So you just have to, and Peter Jackson, I give him credit for like understanding that even without the, the basis of Catholicism. I think he understood World War One very well. And that's a uh, effect on Tolkien's life and his writings. And apparently he has a lot of like World War One memorabilia. And then he actually made that uh, World War One documentary where he takes mm-hmm. a lot of old footage 
colorizes it, slows it down, and it's called They Shall Not Grow Old. I highly recommend it. Wow. But yeah, so he understood a lot of Tolkien's background. And so that gave him insight to what Tolkien must have meant. And I'm sure he consulted with Tolkien scholars. And Christopher Lee was actually quite a good advisor on that. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> the world was sad when he died, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. so sad. Lost Count Dooku, lost Saruman. I, I can't remember what other roles. Prolific <laughs> death metal artist. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. He made death metal? Apparently, he has a oh death metal gosh. Christmas album. He's got Saruman death on. metal Christmas album. Yeah, what, what the? Heck? I have one of the albums. He has several. He's got a deep voice too. That's gonna be so cool. It's it's a bit spoken word, but he does actually sing. What is it called? <laughs> Chris really the actor's secret life in heavy metal. Okay, wow. So, what is it called? Uh, the lyrics from the song "Massacre of the Saxons." That's my favorite one. <laughs> Massacre <laughs> of the uh, Saxons. Could easily be mistaken for something by Iron Maiden. Okay, hold on. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Someone needs to put his music of that, like, behind when he's, like, fighting uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan, <laughs> episode two. <laughs> I don't know if that's in. That's just, like, a compilation of it. <laughs> 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 wow Chris Release he's like an uh, interesting guy oh yeah okay yeah I'm bloody gonna verdict listen. of Verdun Verdun Ver, Ver, Verdun I think it's V-E-R-D-U-N D- V-E-R-D-E-N oh Verdun I don't know oh hold on hold on yeah that's not him that's not I was gonna say no, he has sound? some other guy that's like kind right? of annoying oh here we go Massacre of the Saxons that one okay uh, the chorus is beautiful. I just imagine it on the guitar. Like that's that's an amazing thing. <laughs> this guy played Sauron and just I'm surprised he didn't like freaking have deleted scenes where he's just like falling out on top of Oh, uh, there's probably plenty. They're gonna copyright strike us. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oops. Oh, no, no, it's Oops. fine. It's Spotify. They mostly don't care. Uh, <laughs> uh, Christopher Lee, what the heck? <laughs> and he, I mean, he was a Nazi hunter when he was... What? Yeah, yeah. He had a what? prolific life. <laughs> All right, like, another two oh, hours, Christopher Lee. Yeah, Christopher, this oh is part gosh. two. The 50th, dude, the 50th show, Nazi hunter, he part two. He was a Nazi hunter? Yeah. What? So after World War II, he was like British special forces and stuff. And so when um, <laughs> they do the scene where Star or Dreama stabs Saruman, uh, Peter Jackson tells him like, okay, make like a s- scream. And then Christopher Lee just turns to him. He's like, do you know what a man sounds like when he's stabbed in the back? Cause I do. And he's just like, Oh, <laughs> go for it. And so he just, that pure silent, when he stabs, he's kind of like, <gasps> he just exhales and then you down the tower. But yeah, he was, wow. he was something else. <clears throat> <laughs> He does death metal. Do you know what it death feels metal. like to be stabbed, stabbed in the back? What it sounds like to be stabbed in the back. Oh, <laughs> and he does death metal. Oh, yeah. He's the Lord of the Rings every year. Ah, oh, wow. Christopher Dang, Lee I, going death that's metal so dope. after that, playing Saruman. That is, so that is yeah. nuts. That's and Count Dooku too. I'd want to live, honestly. Just yeah. It's, uh, what a life to live. What a life Nazi to live. hunter, death metal advocate. Like Saruman, <laughs> Saruman, <laughs> Count Duke, Count Duke, Jeez. what <clears throat> Dracula as well? Well, 
What a, what a way to end. I think we, we could probably end on that. Uh, oh, my gosh. Dude, 50 shows. 50th show. This was Dang super guys. fun. Jared, Jared, thank you for coming yeah, on. Thank, thank you so much for coming on. Thank awesome. you. Appreciate it. This was crazy. Um, now I want to go off and read Lord of the Rings again. <clears throat> I think I might just do that. I don't know. Oh, wait. So what are the books you have here? So here I have Baron and Luthien and The Fall of Gondolin. So these aren't actually stories. These are Christopher Tolkien basically took every note. So really, Tolkien intended on publishing the, Sil- the Silmarillion at the same time as Lord of the Rings. And so you have Lord of the Rings, you know, you have the three, Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, Return of the King. And you have an analogous four in the Silmarillion, Baron and Luthien, The Children of Hurin, and The Fall of Gondolin. And then a tale in the middle that connects them both, which is the, the tale of Iarendil. Iarendil is Elrond's dad, who's basically Jesus of this world. But none of these ever got published in any official way. Why? So, that's a whole saga that could take half an hour to tell. But basically, the publishers didn't want it. They just didn't see it as necessary. And then paper shortages after World War II. So huh. Christopher Tolkien, who died just this year, actually, like 95, took every single draft that Tolkien had ever done and compiled them into these books. Wow. And so they're pretty cool. Except for Children of Hurin, which get got told as its own story, which is really freaking tragic. Like... <laughs> Tolkien goes dark and there's incest and suicide. It's horrible. Jeez. Whoa. Um, yeah. It's a good time. Beowulf? And then this is his translation of Beowulf. No way. Oh, right. Yeah. Beowulf it's pretty, is pretty famous translation, right? Yeah. I don't think it's the standard one, but yeah. he definitely was a big advocate for Well, you know what happened with Beowulf stuff? It got burned in a fire and it was yeah. never intended to be read. Did you know that? Really? Beowulf was never intended to be read. Who wrote Beowulf? Shakespeare. No. Wait, not Shakespeare. No, yeah. not Shakespeare. A couple, several centuries back. Some we don't know. Yeah, some guy. But so yeah, we don't know. Oh, that, that's the, that's how the it was a spoken thing. Did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, poetry. and then it was never intended to be read, and it, half of it burned, and I think they found whoever right. found it was like half of it or whatever, yeah, or something mm-hmm. like that. Tolkien was just your <clears throat> fun English professor, and then he becomes literally like one of the most famous yeah. storytellers of all time. Actually, yeah. I was reading about it, and he was in life. Lewis, C.S. Lewis was way more popular than him, and they weren't really sure what to make of Tolkien. But now, like especially after the movies, Tolkien's the guy. Immensely more popular. Yeah. yeah. Posthumously <clears throat> than... Because mm-hmm. Lewis was known for his, you know, like Christian apologetic stuff on the radio and mm-hmm. all that other type of stuff. And Chronicles of Narnia was more popular at the time. Well, I mean, it was... Lord it was, of the Rings got mixed reviews, and it didn't even make it to America for like a decade. Wow. Like, there are all these bootleg copies of Lord of the Rings going around, and all the hippies got a hold of it first because of the pipe weed. So they took it as weed. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so they were all big fans. Like, I heard there was graffiti in the sewers. Like, Frodo lives. Like, at the end of, or after Two Towers was published. Oh, wow. Something like that. So. <laughs> That's hilarious. It, it didn't spike in popularity till much later. Mm-hmm. And this is, this last book is The Letters of <clears throat> Tolkien. So what's is, that one like? This is a lot of the letters that he just wrote to a bunch of different people. And this has blown my mind several times because Tolkien didn't write on theology. He didn't write on any subject like that. But the two most interesting things you get from here are his theology and just the saga of publishing everything. Right. No. Cause it has its ups and its downs and it has its defeats and its victories. And it's really sad almost to read what didn't get published and what he tried so hard to get done. And he was really, I think, ultimately unhappy with how everything turned out because wow. it was just Lord of the Rings and he wanted it to be so much more. 
and it never got there. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. My favorite author of all time, Dostoevsky, he, his grand work, Brothers Karamazov, he planned it to be like a three-book series, and it was the last oh, wow. thing he wrote before he died. Published the same year he died. But uh, yeah, it follows the story of Alyosha, and like, it was supposed to be Alyosha, uh, Alyosha? main character in Brothers Karamazov. Uh, he's him. We should do a podcast on Dostoevsky. I love Dostoevsky so much. I need to read that. Uh, yeah, but that was going to be the first book, and then uh, yeah, Alyosha was going to have tons more stuff going on when he gets older. He was eighteen years old in the in the first book. Him and his two brothers, Ivan and Dmitri, and their really terrible father in Russia <laughs> in the eighteen hundreds. But um, yeah, it's 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 crazy that. Brothers Karamazov still is like magnum opus, but like if he had more years to keep writing and make the second yeah. novel and then keep going and, but alas, that's really, that's, that's something really interesting. Maybe, maybe that's one of those things about authors. It's like, they're like never finished. There's still, For there's sure. always more to say. Yeah. And uh, that's, yeah, that's interesting with those drafts and end up becoming actual like. So most of Tolkien, 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 what he wrote, so basically, the only thing that really major thing that got published was Lord of the Rings from him. So The Hobbit came out, and that was a huge success. And okay. for the next two decades, everyone was like, we want more Hobbits. And he was like, can I please publish The Silmarillion? Please, I'm begging you. <laughs> What's The Silmarillion? Silmarillion, that's all the uh, the First Age stuff, the elves and the men of Numenor, oh, and all okay. that stuff. And so he was he was working on that from his 20s. And actually, the way he tells it, he's like, no one's going to believe me. But I literally, I just started creating a language. And I'm like, hmm, that's somebody right. should speak this language. That's and so he right. creates the elves. And that's how the story originates around the languages. Because he was at heart a philologist. He just loved studying language. Mm. And so that's why you have all this. He created languages. Like he's the first. Everyone does it now. It's like so comp, like Klingon and the Mandalorians. And stars. Yeah. They have a whole language of their own and Game of Thrones. But he was the first one to do it and completely by himself just as a passion project. Create then, your own language. So cool. Yeah. And then just spawned from there. And then Lord of the Rings happened. And he published a few other short stories here and there. But nothing quite as popular as Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And then everything else has come after his death. Wow. sad. Amazing story, man. Three-hour Kellen and Alex show. Yeah, this was awesome. (laughs) This This And and not a moment of it was like stale. It was all like- all action-packed. Seriously, it's just that shows the brilliance of Tolkien. Like, and there's still, and I feel like we could, there's still some money. We could go another two hours. (laughs) But I know we should should probably stop it here, but goodness. Jared, thanks for coming on the podcast. Jared, thanks. thanks, Really appreciate it. Tank man, we appreciate it. Tank man, we appreciate it. (laughs) And uh, it's going to wrap it up for us. Kellen and Alex show. Peace out, everybody. If there's a Christian religion, then it's Catholicism or nothing. What politics actually is, art of people living together, orienting one another towards virtue. And the person was like, dude, flirting is the abortion of love. This is the most worthy, most exciting, most adventurous. Drop a nuke uh, on the Franciscan bubble. The Kellen and Alex Show. Theology. God could have stopped it. If he Permissive wanted. will. That's right. <laughs>
I don't know why God would allow something like that to go through. But then again, God allows God allows you to go on and on. Fair enough. (laughs) Truth, okay. (laughs) 